The following is a conversation with Alexander Friedman. He's a professor at Drexel University and the director of the Nyheim Plasma Institute. He's one of the top plasma physicists and plasma chemists in the world. And most importantly to me, he's my dad. Plasma, by the way, is not referring to blood plasma in biology, but to the fourth state of matter in physics, solid, liquid, gas, and plasma, which is a gas of charged particles that behaves in fascinating ways. Plasma makes up the sun, the stars, lightning, plasma displays, fluorescent lamps, and is the most common state of matter in the universe. This is the 100th episode of this podcast. There were quite a few very big conversations, which were all options, but I decided to go back to where it all started for me and to do a personal conversation with my dad. This was a difficult conversation for me for many reasons, but life is short. Perhaps we needed microphones to give us a chance to say the things we never would have said otherwise. This is that conversation. This is also a chance to briefly look back. If you don't know, I stepped down from my full-time position at MIT to pursue a dream of building a startup around AI systems that form meaningful connections with human beings. I didn't have much money. The videos I've made and this podcast was a way to try to pay for food and rent while taking on the startup journey. It also gave me a chance to have conversations with people who inspire me, who make me think, and to share it with an amazing community. Frankly, I don't know what to do with the idea that this thing has been listened to 35 million times. I'm pretty sure most of those are AI bots, but if you're one of the rare biological systems listening to this, thank you. I feel the love. It gives me a lot of strength in both this and the startup. By the way, since some people asked, my full, very Russian birth name is Alexei, Alexei, or Alyosha, or as my mom might say, Lyoshenka. But I've always enjoyed when my friends and people close to me will call me Lex, or Lex in English. A few folks and companies donated money and sponsored this podcast, and they're the reasons I'm here. The best way you can support me in this journey is to support the sponsors. Please do. I only do ads here in the intro and not in the middle. For me as a fan, mid-roll ads get in the way of the conversation. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Wouldn't be the first time. Please click on the sponsor links in the description, sign up, download, buy whatever they're selling. That really is the best way to support the journey I'm on. Quick summary of the ads. The Jordan Harbinger Show and Magic Spoon Low-Carb Keto-Friendly Cereal. Go check out Jordan's show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know where to look. Tell them I sent you. Give them all the love in the world. And buy all of the Magic Spoon cereal. Click the magicspoon.com slash Lex link in the description and use code Lex at checkout. The more you buy for this episode, the more they will support this podcast in the future. You know what to do. <laughs> it's delicious and keto-friendly, so even crazy people like me can enjoy. More on each in a minute. This is the Artificial Intelligence Podcast. I'm an AI researcher and engineer first and foremost, but I see AI as much bigger than any one technical or scientific field. I see it as our journey to understand and engineer the mind, and to explore the nature of intelligence, consciousness, human behavior, the fabric of the universe that gifted us, the triumph and the tragedy of the human condition, without telling us, except for a few hints here and there, about the meaning of it all. 
I will talk to roboticists and philosophers, physicists and historians, mathematicians and astronauts, and maybe even political leaders. Always returning to the technical, which is home for me, but also not being afraid to venture out into the messy human world. I honestly don't know how long I'll be doing this podcast. Life is full of surprises. But for at least a short while, I hope you join me on this journey and thank you for coming along this far. This conversation is supported by the Jordan Harbinger Show. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, or click the jordanharbinger.com slash subscribe link in the description. I've been binging on it. Jordan is awesome. He gets the best out of his guests, dives deep, calls them out when it's needed, and makes the whole thing fun to listen to. His conversations with Kobe Bryant and Neil deGrasse Tyson are good examples of that. One part I remember re-listening to is uh, Neil talking with Jordan about fountain pens and how it brings you closer to the words you're communicating. Outside of interviews, Jordan is also just inspiring and pragmatic, giving you solid, no BS life advice, which is a nice compliment to what I ramble on about in this podcast, which can include things like AGI, quantum field theory, or whether neural networks can ever truly understand language. I'm not sure if any of that gives you actionable life advice. So search and listen to The Jordan Harbinger Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, give them some love, tell them I sent you. This episode is supported by Magic Spoon, low-carb, keto-friendly, delicious cereal. I've been on a mix, as you might know, of keto and carnivore diet for a very long time now. That means eating very little carbs. I used to love cereal. Obviously, most cereals have crazy amounts of sugar, which is terrible for you. So I quit years ago. But Magic Spoon is a totally new thing. Zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs. It tastes delicious and honestly way too good to be true. I use it to celebrate a good training session, like the push-ups and pull-ups challenge I've been ramping up for. It has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. I tried all of them, they're all delicious. But if you know what's good for you, you'll go with cocoa, my favorite flavor and the flavor of champions. Click themagicspoon.com slash Lex link in the description and use code Lex at checkout for free shipping and to let them know I sent you. The more you buy for this episode, the more they will support this podcast in the future. So buy all of their cereal. It's delicious and good for you. You won't regret it. And now, here's my conversation with my dad, Alexander Friedman. What to you is the most beautiful idea in physics, chemistry, or mathematics? Ooh. Let's go to that place first before we go to the to Kiev. Uh, the most beautiful in physics, chemistry, I would say I would say Einstein. His ideas regarding stochastic motion and Browning motion, I think it is the most beautiful, clear, simple idea. Because from this, like stochastics, you can prove existence of molecules, believe me or not. It was, I think it was his first publication in 1905 with his first wife, 
Actually, it was significantly her idea. That's right. They were uh, collaborators. Yeah. Those, those five, four, four, five papers he published. Yeah. I, actually, almost everything which Einstein did, it was published, oh, the most important stuff, they were published in one year, 1905. Mm -hmm. But the first idea was probably the most elegant. Can you describe stylish. Brownian motion and uh, why you think it's beautiful? You see that people at that time, they understand that if molecules, if they exist, their motion is absolutely chaotic. Mm -hmm. Boom, 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 boom. What he proved that doesn't matter what size of particles is, their motion is similar and about the same. So it is not necessary to see molecules. You can look at bigger particles, like uh, if you smoke, there is particles and you can see like a propagation of this smoke. And from here, determine behavior of molecules. Mm -hmm. And that's actually relatively short very elegant, very clear. And at that point, people, they kept talking about molecules, but it was no proof because there is no like a super electronic microscope to see them. So, you know, I'm saying, yes, molecules, they exist. You said, well, I mean, can you show me that? So Einstein made it and boom. And he proved and a lot of people after these publications that, hmm, probably molecules really exist. Einstein, 1905. So what do you like about that idea? Uh, the uh, is Simplicity. It, simplicity. That's simplicity what, that's of what... proving something very, 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 very complicated. So if I ask you, for example, you know, molecules exist, can you prove it? Mm -hmm. Obviously, like uh, now you would say, okay, I have a special electronic microscope and I can well, take a look, that's a molecule, okay. But uh, when you go back to beginning of 20th century, People, they were laughing. Can you prove something? No, you cannot. Said, no, no, no. Take a look. It's something very simple. Very, very simple. Very, very simple. What do you think it takes to do that kind of thinking and come to those oh. ideas? And how many times have you encountered those kinds of ideas in your life? Have you had any? Yeah. Yeah. I would say that's a, that's a whole beauty my feeling. That's the whole beauty of science. It's just, you know, people, they say, no, 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 it's uh, too, it's impossible. Or, and you say, no, no, wait, take a look, take a look. Wait a second. Read it. Take a look. Just think for five minutes. If something is very complicated, you know, Kapitza, Nobel Prize laureate, like I work with him, by the way, mm -hmm. he used to say, if it is complicated, it's probably wrong. <laughs> uh, well, it was a lot of discussion between Kapitza and Landau, because Landau, he, he enjoyed to do something in a most complicated way. Why his friend Kapitza, he was trying to do everything in an absolutely simple way. And they had all these uh, discussions. Because sometimes Kapitza, he went to extremes. And he used to say, well, this is simple. It means this is right. Mm -hmm. And now he was like, okay, you mean that everything with simple is right? I mean... Like Feynman, too. He, he, oh, yeah. he liked the simple. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And that's the whole point to find this simplicity. That's, that's the beauty of science. That's the beauty, really, that's the beauty of science. That's something 
worth to do, like... Uh, At the risk of going uh, religious for a second, why do you think our universe allows for such simplicity to be discovered, that such simplicity exists at all? I can, I can tell you, it is very similar to Darwin's theory. Why, I don't know, why animals are this way, not other way. So it is actually competition. Take a look about simplicity. Uh, in beauty of physics, like you have two interacting planets and the force is proportional to one over R squared. In this case, they are able to go in circles or in ellipses. If there is another law, they are either falling or going out. So like, a, uh, so if like our solar system exists, so just the interaction would be one over R squared. That's it. It's very interesting about Isaac Newton and his way of thinking. That's also was a super, I would say, genius. Is it weird to you, talking about Newton, that action at a distance, for example? This stuff I was doing in elementary school, which is funny. Which stuff? Without any knowledge of physics, but I, I was doing physics because of fighting. Throwing things? <laughs> oh, better Soccer. than that. Better than that. We played, well, it was third, second, third grade. So it's in 1962, 1963. So from one hand, you know, Kiev, that time. So people, they were excited about wars, obviously, always, especially boys. And also, you know, we were way better than Americans because, you know, we have first Sputnik yeah. and Gagarin. I remember how happy we were. When was Gagarin? What year? Do you remember? Oh, I'm afraid to make a mistake, but I think it's 1961 or 1962. Well, 1961, 1962. Because what I remember that I was in either in the, in the first grade or second grade. And uh, it was no bread, believe me or not. At that time, it was a big problem because of Khrushchev. And the uh, kids... Shortage of, shortage of bread? Shortage, shortage of, of all bread. kinds of food? No. Potatoes? No, it was a mistake, actually, of Khrushchev, because when he came to America, he saw that corn is everywhere. <laughs> and he decided yeah. that if he put enough corn in Russia, Russia will be way stronger from the point of agriculture than America. And but he overdid it. As a result, it was a shortage of wheat. Hmm. So that's why I remember this moment. So just for kids, for <laughs> that's kids, how you remember. So yes, yeah, so for kids, what hurts it, is the lack no, of no, bread. No, 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 no. Each day, yeah. during the class, you know, the special guy used to come and give a small piece of white bread to each kid. White bread, yeah. White bread, and uh, at the same time. Mm, like a, a teacher announced, oh, I forgot about this. Gagarin went to the space. And kids say even forgot about this. The bread. So that's how big of a moment it is that's yeah, more important yeah, than the bread. Yeah, but take a look. Yeah. If you are a boy, you think about this, you think about space. So like a, one half of boys, they want to be astronauts, cosmonauts, we used to say. And the other half wanted to design rockets. So I was from this second part, 
So myself with friends, we start designing small rockets to fight second grade. Second grade, uh, yeah, second, third, second, third grade, yeah. uh, and we have been fighting with these guys from a next door house. Mm -hmm. Because these idiots, they used to use only stones against us. Yeah. Well, and it was a big fence between houses. So just they throw stones. And we decided to make rockets. <laughs> well, uh, and we made it. <laughs> and a know? scientist was born. Engineer, too. Yes, it was both science and engineering. Well, let me ask, was it that moment or in general, when did you first fall in love with science? I would say science, I think clearly this fight with this bad the rock, boys, yes, the rocks. with the kids, with, yeah. uh, which keep throwing stones uh, from another side of the fence. Mm -hmm. And we start making rockets. What does it mean a rocket? As a fuel, we use a mixture of photographic films mm -hmm. with special chemicals. Yep. We consultate with, with the boys from high school about some details, and we made it, more or less. And then it was, a, uh, that stuff was uh, actually wrapped into the silver foil. Mm -hmm. And in the end, we put like a match. So with another match, we light it. And this stuff was going like sometimes 10 meters. Yeah. And it was able to go to like two meters high, but very often it was mistakes because like uh, we were bad with stability. So what I try to calculate at this moment is a, like a trajectory. Hmm. Uh, stability meaning while it's in the air, yeah. the control problem. Yes, yes, yeah. control. So, not... so, you... <laughs> so I try, so you to, try like, to calculate yeah. what? Uh, motion, to describe the to motion. Where to point it? So where that... to point it to be sure that it will go far enough and it will go above the the fence, which was maybe one meter 80 or something like that. So so what was most interesting to you? The calculation, so the math of physics, so calculating the trajectory, or the fact that you could engineer, build something that's based on science? In, in the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning, to be honest, I was happy to fight these idiots from another <laughs> side of the fence. Yeah. Which, what, what's funny that we used to do that and, and they kept throwing stones, which actually, you cannot prove anything. But then in the end of this period, actually I fall in love with science. What is science to you? So in, the, in that period to a uh, eight year old or whatever. predicting events. So not just, to throw a stone, but just to make something and just, and take a look, we made it. So the, the, the creation. Yeah, and also another important stuff, when you are doing this kind of stuff, so your friends, they start thinking that you are not so bad, you know? Oh, it's a, it's a way to earn respect, yeah. credit on the, yeah, on the yeah, playground. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we were not interested in girls, uh, you know, when you are like a second, third grade, we just, we hated girls. Yeah. But it was very important to have respect from. Yeah. 
from fellow boys, from fellow, fellow comrades. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a camaraderie and just feeling and secret from parents. And just to linger on it because you brought up Gagarin. Yeah. What are your thoughts? You know, it's inspired uh, on the American side. The, the Apollo missions inspired an entire generation of scientists. What was your thought about Gagarin and the space race and how it made you feel? What what role did it play in your life? To be honest, the whole country had a huge respect to Gagarin. He was a nice person, very simple, and uh, he was a hero because, you know, to be first to go to the space, yeah. knowing that percentage of success at that time with dogs was way far from 100%. It's a big deal. I would not say that it inspired like a science. Uh, science. No, it, it did not. Uh, but uh, making rockets, it was just interesting. And about America, we, we are way better than America. That's the way we have been thinking. I mean, come on. Is that, yeah, that's interesting. It was even not a question. Yeah. Uh, and America was saying the same. It's propaganda. Uh, it was, it's, uh, it's, it's propaganda, but keep in mind, very, very important, actually, at that time, in these years, Russia was way ahead. Yeah, they, because it was no NASA. That's right. That's so. The fact that Russia was way ahead is what motivated America to really step yeah. it up. It's from is, one hand, but from another hand, for Russian kids of second grade and third grade, mm -hmm. come on, we, we didn't think about America. That's like you know, yeah, it's millions of miles away. Yeah. Besides physics, you also have poetry in your blood. So <laughs> what has been your relationship to poetry, music? What role did it play in your life? Poetry a lot. But it is way later than, <laughs> than, than elementary school. Actually, uh, like music-wise, you know, like all... Teenagers, they're in love with music, and it's just exactly the same now and 20 years ago and uh, 30 years ago. Um, I would say uh, at that time, at that time, uh, we were all in love with one special group, which is Beatles. Mm. And and what was extremely, well, that's later, It's I was in sixth grade, Fifth grade, or the 60, 64, 65, 66. And uh, in Soviet Union, Beatles, they were forbidden, believe me or not. It was absolutely strange. But at the same time, if something is forbidden, that's exactly what you love yeah. most. So I remember that for my big successes in science, I was awarded with going to this best of the best um, camps, pioneer camps, mm -hmm. Artec in Crimea. And over there, it was, it's international. So I met with, I, I, I lived together with a group of people from France. Yeah. Because I was the only one kind of speaking fluently in French. And uh, we just made trade. So we gave whatever we used to have, and we got uh, Beatles records. Beatles records so and Beatles uh, records. Yeah. That's the rebellion you're part of. But what about poetry? What? When did you first? I mean, you've written 
a lot of poetry. I wrote a lot. It's right. What poet? What maybe? Do you remember an early poem you've written? A bad one? <laughs> a good she one? No, I started doing that late. So it was I was in seventh grade, I think. That's late. <laughs> so okay. po writing poetry. I thought, okay. And writing poetry is a little bit related to when boys, they start looking at girls with a little bit different eyes. I mean, okay. we just... So love is somehow behind poetry. Um, even not so much even love, even just, just you know, this yeah, uh, imagination. Right. Like uh, way far from reality. It's a, uh, And it is romanticism. Were you a serious poet or a funny poet? Because you have a lot of uh, humor and wit that, in your poetry. It's, it's later. Yeah. But at that time, I was extremely... Serious, yeah, and extremely romantic, which never ever before after that. <laughs> yeah, but it's uh, hard to imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah, but it is kind of a little bit like a childish romanticism. Well, childish. I mean, you know that. But but it was. It's interesting enough that first poetry was actually almost immediately, from my point of view, very good. It's not like, you know, you're doing something not good and then better and then better and then better. It's actually uh, all the way opposite. Best stuff which I wrote, it was like a... Seventh grade. Well, Around. more like a eighth and ninth grade. And I wrote a lot at that time. Why do you think you were... So what, what does it mean? What, what does good poetry mean? That means it's not cheesy. It's beautifully worded and it crafted. Is, and there's, yes. And so where did that come from? Because most people, even great poets, are terrible at first. So why why were you so clever quickly? Because <laughs> most people know you as really Funny, clever. Uh, no, I mean okay. with words, right? Very yeah. good with words. So you're saying that was early on, you already had that. Yes. Uh, I have no good answer. Just it comes from nowhere. Yeah, from... But my from first... Rockets to <laughs> oh no no it was it wasn't it was it was actually to be honest uh, no not so much connection uh but uh, in russian culture romanticism it is yeah. extremely important element yeah. you know starting from 19th century romanticism so just it was very popular so either you are writing good poetry or bad poetry or you are an artist, you are like, a, you know, painting something. So I have a lot of friends, they, they were painting. Mm -hmm. Do you remember a poetry, do you remember a poem from that time that you've written by any chance? Yeah, sure. I remember most of them by heart. Uh, you, mind, you mind reciting? Uh, they're in Russian. Russian is good, as long as they're not in French. I have in French also. You want me just to please? Uh, what What do you think? What uh, What's comfortable? You know, maybe I will read one poem, one poem, mm -hmm. which I like most from that period, and I'm not sure that I wrote something better after that. <laughs> well, it's a little bit cheesy, however, uh, but not much. Yeah, it's like a. It's even not about girls, it's about music. Hmm. But still with a romantic, uh, romanticized kind of With theme. a very strong romanticism. It was the result of me reading a book, Periключение Катамура, История Печального Капельмейстера Йогана Крейслера. Actually, it's a story of a cat 
who found a book, or like a notebook, but a notebook of people, and he started reading about that and analyzing their life. So it's a life of people through eyes of a very, very smart cat. So then I can read it in Russian, right? I mean, this poetry, please, if you please, want. Please, that would be great. Okay. Развалитесь в удобном кресле и послушайте, развалясь. Капельмейстер Йоган Крейслер будет плакать сегодня для вас. На белесах его ресницах боль зрачка в голубой воде на его мнота снится улетела, мелькнула, где он, ударенный миром в челюсть, опрокинутый, сбитый с ног, все он кинул на мирощелесть. Не играть вот только не смог. И срывались костлявые пальцы, и во мраке кричал рояль, и холодные звуки падали в ледяную сырую печаль, а за окнами липы скрипели, и шумел обезумевший дождь, сквозь кривые костлявые ели колокольные дин-дон-дон этой ночью рояля парус взмыт над миром сильнее бури, и до хруста костлявые пальцы впились в горло ночной лазури. Развалитесь в удобном кресле и послушайте, развалясь, Капельмейстер Йоган Крейслер будет плакать сегодня для вас. Вау, that's good. And it's that's like good. a, I would say that whatever I did later, it was. <laughs> How old were you here? So seventh grade. So this eight, is eighth grade, eighth probably. grade, fifteen. That is that's very good. Yeah, and it's a that's a romanticism, you know, with a little bit of like a too much. It's musically cheesiness a little bit, I would say, but very strong. So let's go. Let's go okay, okay. to Kiev. Okay, let's go to Kiev. You were born and raised in Kiev, just like you said, yes. with the guys with the rocks and the rockets. Um, but that it was the uh, stupid guys. Yeah, no, I guess we already got that. <laughs> you, you can hold a grudge. <laughs> uh, what are some memories of your dad and mom that stand out? And... Mm, okay, yeah. What we do? Well, let's drink. Japanese, so. Yeah, what are we drinking? Japanese whiskey. Japanese whiskey, uh, they call it from the barrel. We're not sponsored by Nico Whiskey, but it's mm, good whiskey. It's uh, good. Yeah, we do not. But they're doing a very, very good job. Yeah. And they are in Sapporo. Uh, it's uh, Hokkaido north of Japan. So they are doing good beer, which is Sapporo. They good, very good whiskey and a lot of uh, red caviar. And actually that's it. Did you ever think when you were uh, that shortage of bread and you were doing the rocket that you would be sitting here in America <laughs> a few years later drinking <laughs> Japanese whiskey <laughs> and talking about caviar. Did you even know what caviar was? Oh, uh, no, no, obviously, because caviar, it was for holidays a little bit, and it was distributed. It's not like you go and buy it, mm -hmm. but uh, you got it a little bit, like a, a small can. So we, all of us, we knew that, and just it was very popular and... Well, let me just actually ask that question. How did you imagine what, where you would be 50 years from then? Like, how, how did you think about your future? Mm. Uh, actually, 
like um, in about eighth grade, ninth grade, I was very, 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 very good in physics, mathematics, and chemistry. So I was actually in this system of like a Olympiad, so-called mm -hmm. competition. I was absolutely number one in Ukraine twice and absolute number two in Soviet Union also twice. This is physics competition or mathematics competition? Okay, it was physics. So the, for people who don't know, maybe you can explain. I mean, this is still goes on to this day. Yeah. These are very intense competitions. Yeah. I don't know if they're that popular in the United States, probably because the United States folks don't do as great, but I, they're... <laughs> it is extremely popular, but not in physics. What is going on in this country, mm -hmm. I was very much impressed. It's a very serious and very tough competition in mathematics. In math, that's right. Uh, in physics last, in biology last. So you already know, knew seventh and eighth grade that you're very good at. Yes. You said, wait a minute, you said chemistry too. Yes, so chemistry too. Physics, chemistry, and you competed. You won in Ukraine. And I was number two in Soviet Union. It was twice. Now, very interesting that in Soviet Union, it was a rule. You're supposed to choose. So you can participate in this uh, competition in physics, mathematics, and chemistry, and mm -hmm. all three of them, up to the level of championship of the region, of the big city. Mm -hmm. In my case, it was Kiev. But then to go to competition in Ukraine, you have to choose. You can go to only to one. Mm. So I won physics and chemistry and mathematics in Kiev. Then I choose physics and I was going to Ukraine. Now if you win in Ukraine, so a couple of people from the whole Ukraine goes to uh, this championship of Soviet Union. That's and an incredible accomplishment, by the way. It's incredible. It was I mean, you basically, you, you peaked in terms of physics and poetry at age. <laughs> Well, uh, 14. that's a big difference. You know, in physics, I was really on top of the Soviet Union, which yeah, is a huge country. Yeah. In poetry, it was just, no, I know, I'm right? not a professional, you know, I mean, you, that's... You can't compete in poetry, right? Yeah, well, basically over there, a gold medal from uh, high school. What, what do you call here a uh, valedictorian? Which is hard to do. I would say here it's also very... Yeah, not so easy. School, yeah. Depending on the school, but uh, in Kiev it was an interesting situation because uh, you have to. The most difficult was actually not physics, mathematics, and it was writing, right? Because it was writing not on the computer without spell check. It just and you have to write uh, twenty. Let me see. Let me see. Yeah, no, twelve, twelve uh, pages as a minimum of an essay, and it's supposed to be zero mistakes. And Russian language is not the easiest one. And um, when you say mistakes, I mean, this is what is important for people grammar, to realize. Grammar mistake. It's not just, it's, it's grammar, it's writing mistakes too? Oh, no. What do you mean writing mistakes? Like, just uh, incorrect use of word or something no, like that? No, can you cross stuff out? No. Right, this is the, <laughs> you, you can't, make a mistake in the actual writing process. You're writing with mm -hmm. a pen. Uh, yeah, and you, cursive. You, you were not supposed to make any so corrections. You, and you're not allowed to cross the lines, and no. so it's 
it's perfection in so, in all the in very silliest old-fashioned way, and it's silly. Um, but maybe, what do you think about that? Is it what? What do you think about that strictness? Because it it it's easy to criticize from a distance, but there's something powerful about it. Yes, there is. It, and it, you know what? Countries more powerful from this point of view is Japan. Is Japan strictness? I was so much impressed with their kids. What they keep saying that in Japan. For kids, it doesn't matter. It's a holiday or it's a weekend or whatever. Each day you're supposed to train with these Japanese characters mm -hmm. because if not, it's just impossible just to, to remember it. Mm -hmm. So they are, they're working too hard, but as a result, they can for them quality because quality means no mistakes. Right. That's a very interesting point. What does it mean quality? It means no mistakes. Perfectionism. And yeah. this perfectionism creates this kind of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> Which, <laughs> this is what perfect tastes like. It's interesting. I mean, it, it forces you to take education seriously, everything seriously. Like this, yeah, this yeah. craftsmanship, it did craftsmanship yes, seriously. Yes, yes, yes. And you know, uh, I, I mentioned to you this exam, this exam in, in Russian essay. But it was something which was worse than that. Yeah. Because because it was Kiev, we're supposed to take two essays, one in Russian language and also in Ukrainian language. So think for a second. It's a it's not your native language. And you're supposed to also write this at least twelve pages without with zero mistakes and without any possibility to make any, it should be perfect. As a result, was funny that I speak Ukrainian not bad at all. <laughs> Because of this, uh, I would not say that it's a good idea, but it's it's kind of Russian version version of uh, of a Japanese story. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of interesting other strict things like you have to memorize poetry, you have to memorize things, which I mean, that's a really interesting exercise. Yes. Oh, that's what probably you remember. Yep, though it still was there when I was there, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like I used to know at least thousand poems by heart. By heart. And you still remember many of your own by heart. Yeah. It basically helps with mathematics. How? Good memory. Just memory. Okay, so you said you already knew. I mean, it's an incredible incredible accomplishment to be at that level in physics at that young age. So what did you think about the future returning to the original question? Where do you think that would take you? This fascination and this skill with physics. Did you imagine uh, I being was, a professor? Did you imagine being yeah. Einstein? You know, kids in high school, I mean, at least between us, and um, I was like already in, in high school, it was like special high school in physics and mathematics. Mm -hmm. um, we were all like, uh, not only dreaming, but being sure we can do that. We can be best of the best in the world. And uh, and it was a very popular subject. At, at that time, if you are like uh, the best in, in physics, it's way more, you are way more popular than a guy who is the best in basketball. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, that's why do you think that is in the Soviet Union that 
it was so respected, so admired when you were great at science. It was propaganda. So it was the state created that. Yes. So and it was good actually. Do you think we'll ever see that in America without authoritarian in a democracy? Because in America, Brad Pitt and Michael Jordan are are the superstars and scientists. Most people don't know a single scientist except Einstein in America. Well, I would say, my feeling, it should happen in America. It should happen to, to boys and girls in America. It should be. It should, meaning like that's a good thing, or it should, you think very, that way? It's if, a very important, because if, if kids in America, they are just not so much good in sciences, Sooner or later, we will lose competition to to countries where science is in very much high prestige. Example, today, unfortunately, it's not Russia. The best example today is probably China. I, I've been there, I saw their high schools. We have to be very careful with that. Mm. So my feeling that that it should be done. Because in America, university education is way stronger than in Russia mm-hmm. and is way stronger than in Europe. But high school education in America is not so so strong. Well, uh, it, it, yeah, it's difficult to understand why, but why, why do you think the universities are so strong in America? Why do you think the mo- most Nobel Prizes are from America? Why do you think science is so good even though yeah. sci- scientists were never really yeah. worshipped in America. Because in Russia it was always a problem, so the strongest, you know, like people, students, kids, they, they, they are very hard workers when they are in high school. Because after that, there is a very strong competition to get to a good university. Very, very, very challenging. The same in China. So you have to be very good to enter very good university. So kids, they work like crazy to do that. Also boys, they knew that they have, take a look, you have one chance, in most of cases, with exception of a couple of universities, you have only one chance to go to one university to try yourself. If you make it, you become a student. If not, you go to the army for three years. So you, it's very interesting. It's a very psychologically interesting situation because what is going on, um, you have to make a decision by yourself. Are you strong enough to go to the best place? Mm-hmm. Because it's only one place you can go. Uh, now they start changing the system, but in 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it was the case. So just And there's you have a cost, big cost of failing. Once you choose and you don't get in. Cost, not money-wise, but real cost, real you go cost to army. Money. If you are a boy, if you if you just overestimate yourself. Mm-hmm. Is that when you got that line in your hair? That the, the, that period? Oh. Or is that already in university? So for people who don't know, my dad's hair now is white, but he used to have this <laughs> sexy stripe down the middle for yeah. many d- decades. Yeah, 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 yeah. 10, 20, 30, yeah. Uh, yeah. a lot of, of years. My pictures, I have this stripe now. Anymore, not anymore. That's a good look now. So anyway, is that when you got it, the stress? That's oh, when you were... Oh no, the stress was, it was a real stress. What happened? 
well, that's that's a bad story. I told you that in when I was a uh, finishing high school, it's mm-hmm. a tenth grade at that time. Uh, I became a champion of Ukraine, number one, and second in Soviet Union, which was a very very big deal. Mm-hmm. After that, five kids, no six, no five, five kids from Soviet Union was supposed to go to international competition. Mm-hmm. And this international competition was the same dates as, uh, you know, exams to enter the university. So wow. if you are a champ, if you are like in five best, five best kids in physics, five best kids in mathematics, five best kids in whatever chemistry, they were able to skip these final exams, which means to skip this essay in language, one language essay, another language, and you you skip all exams. But instead of that, you prepare to international competition. Mm -hmm. So because I was number two, I was clearly in the team, so I was not supposed to go to these stupid exams. And, uh, but well, but it was this telephone call of our whatever leader from Moscow. And he said that like, it's like a one week before, mm-hmm. but unfortunately you have to be replaced with another guy because they are unable to give you a visa. Oh, wow. And that was actually, yeah, that was That's like was a sort of stress. It was, a, it was a very big stress. And at that point, um, like uh, people, including those from America and Zionist motion, they came to me and they asked me, you know, to make speech and just to, to say something and to do something. And they talked to my dad, to your grandfather. Uh, and he spoke with people from KGB because he was like also a big guy at that time. Uh, and, um, and he came to me and said, okay, you do whatever you want because it's your life. You make a decision. But they told me that if you forgot about what happened, you'll have gold medal, which is over there. Mm-hmm. You'll pass all exams and you will have A, well, five in Russian, A, the highest grade, whatever you do, <laughs> it will be A. Yeah. And then you go to any university you want and you'll be accepted. Mm-hmm. This is KGB talking those kinds of yeah. folks. Yeah. And uh, I hesitated. Uh, and I said, well, yeah, I agree. I I I will not fight against the system. So, can you explain a little bit does you being Jewish have anything yeah, to do with it? Absolutely. It's 100%. Okay. So, <laughs> because it was actually it was a 1970. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this moment, it was a very significant, actually, push to immigration for Jewish people to Israel and to America. And uh, they they were afraid, always, that they just give all these awards to the, to, to the guy. And uh, he will say, okay, guys, <laughs> goodbye. I just decided to go to whatever, to America, or to Germany, or whatever, or to Israel. Keeping that in mind, just in case, they prefer not to give visa. And at that time, interesting enough, it's a KGB, so they 
do not give visa and they do not give any explanation why. Right. Just, you cannot no do visa. that. However, however, they say he's a good guy and if he accepts that, we'll do everything for him. Don't worry. <laughs> It's also a risk because you never know they can, but I don't know, maybe maybe I am so smart, but uh, actually without special preparation, I went to the super exams and I got A. You did well. I did well. So, And that's the reason of this strife, which appeared in a very short boom. So it was a source of stress, but I, yes, I'm not exactly understanding the depth of the stress. It was so very Did you have a choice to make? I mean, it doesn't feel like there's a choice. It just... Uh, at, actually, when already I made a decision, I was already with a strike. <laughs> okay. So the decision process was the strike uh, created. Um, because I was, it's like, you know, I was falling from a limp or whatever. Like, a f because I, I was feeling that everything is like, I'm best of the best in the world, whatever. And booms, they actually put me on my place, you know. It was a difficult moment, but but then I was accepted, and uh, it was a you know immediately celebration because you know I got this gold medal, which is a big deal in Soviet Union. So gold medal represents being a valedictorian. Valedictorian, right? So, did you experience anti-Semitism leading? up to that moment in your life? Did you feel that you were, were you made to feel that you were Jewish? Did you experience life as a as a Ukrainian Jew or as simply as a Ukrainian? Mm, oh, well. Uh, for, for the listener, time, my dad is uncomfortable time. talk, uh, 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 likes to avoid uncomfortable conversations, so I have to force him into uncomfortable conversations. Okay. Uh, well, it's not only me, just like uh, all our generation, Uh, in at that time in Ukraine, in Ukraine, Ukraine at that time it was not the same as Ukraine today. Mm -hmm. So level of antisemitism was way higher in Ukraine than in other places. In other Soviet republics. All right. Um, Why is that? Is there any historical yes reason for that? Do you yes. think? Yes. Well, it was actually historical, significant historical reason, starting from Bogdan Khmelnytsky. Uh, so at some point, a couple of hundred years before that, Jews, they supported Polish people, and it was against Russia, against Ukraine. So just a level of antisemitism was very high in, in these kind of countries. Also, uh, this area was inside of Pale of Settlement. So it means that it was a lot of Jews. A lot of Jews, a lot of problem with Jews. In Moscow, it was forbidden for Jews to leave, so no no Jews, no problems. Mm -hmm. So when I actually moved from Kiev to Moscow, it is like a day and night. So Moscow, it was beautiful. I mean, I did not feel, well, I feel, I felt, but not, not so much, I would say. In Ukraine, always I felt that I'm Jewish. But from another hand, you remember all these kids from our, Yard, well, like a stone, etc., etc. Both, both groups, they were Jewish. Oh. So what I'm trying to say that Jews, they lived actually together. 
So from that point of view, you know, it's less, it's, it's a huge anti-Semitism, but, but they are somewhere. You're somewhat isolated from it because... Mm -hmm. Because it's like a Jewish Jews ghetto. Jews stick together. I mean, the just... Jews, it, it's, it was, it's historical ghetto. Okay, let's let's jump back. Okay, we were saying that you were born and raised in Kiev. What what are your favorite or maybe most representative memories of your dad and mom from the earlier years? Well, uh, it was a beautiful family. Your yeah, only grandparents. Child. You're just. I was the only just, child. Just the one. Yes, and uh, uh, my father, he was a hero of uh, World War II, and he was actually always with a stick because you know he was like a cane. Yeah, yeah, cane, right? Um, he was heavily wounded during the war, and. Uh, he operated the the gun, the machine gun. Yes, no, he, yes. He's a gunner. In very yeah. complicated situations. Uh, so he was risking his life enormously, and the only reason he survived because he was heavily wounded. So just it was the end of the war for him. And uh, you know, and as a boy, you know, for me he was a re and he was a real hero. Mm -hmm. He was like you know, it's not. It's very different from me. He's like a big hands, you know, like. A, yeah. Always, he was not drinking Japanese whiskey. He was drinking only one thing, mm -hmm. vodka. Okay. Yeah, you remember, like uh, we had somewhere this. Yeah, this we'll, we'll we'll get to the vodka. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say that it's a different personality. Yeah, and he just from this Jewish boy, he became an associate minister of construction of Ukraine, which was a very big deal. So he was like uh, this. He's very much different from me. I'm like a little bit like a softer personality, my like my mother, but he was a very tough guy. Yeah. Were you afraid of him? Um. What does it mean to be afraid? He he loved me, but uh, he was a person like you know very strong personality. So yes, when if I did something wrong, oh, you remember the story? <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean with these idiots from another. From the the yeah, in these rockets. So yes, I was afraid of my father. Uh, so I had huge respect, and my mother, she was like a nice Jewish mother, and and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me kind of ask a hard question. You've lost your dad a few years ago. Yeah. What did it feel like when you learned that he died? What went through your head? What memories? Well, like, you know, losing your parents, it's, it's losing your parents. So I would say, what I can say, it's, a, it's losing parents. And, and my father, it was a whole generation, you know, it's just like a, and, uh, you know, the feeling you have that now you are the man, it's interesting, but the like, feeling is now it's my turn to be great. Now just I have to do something. Now just because when you have your parents, you always have this feeling that there is something behind you just in case. Yeah. And my father, he was very, very, very strong personality. 
just uh, this interesting story that during this uh, uh, Jews persecution in 1952 by Stalin, when it was a so-called affair of uh, doctors or whatever, how to say in English, Dela mm -hmm. um when Jewish people were actually said just they're doctors and okay, most of doctors were Jewish, basically. Uh, so they used to say that they actually kill half of the government or whatever as a doctors. It was absolutely lie. It just has nothing with reality. And Jews, they were prepared actually to be moved from all over the Soviet Union to Birabijan, to like a close to Chinese border on Amur River. Mm -hmm. Like, a, oh, it's already, they try to move them closer to Japan, to Japanese whiskey. Uh, so like in camps no, or what just no, just no. just just kind of yeah move them so to, they live to to the so-called uh, jewish oblast jewish region yeah. or whatever but it's like it was nothing there yeah and uh, if you move like this kind of group of people it was about three million jews not yeah. to forget you know at least half will die just during this moving so it was nothing and good. you're preventing them from having a future. Yeah, so at that time, you know, people, they kept, start, kept talking about the same stupid stuff that Jews, they drink uh, blood of, of babies, of Christian oh. babies. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what my father used to say, that his friends, and it's like, you know, it's like a meeting, and, uh, you know, people, they're asking, have you seen something? Have you seen him like uh, drinking blood or <laughs> something like that? And he said that he was absolutely impressed with his friends, and all of them, they, most of them, I mean, they are, were either leaving the room, just not to participate in this stupidity, or they say, we haven't seen, but who knows, if people, they write in newspapers, it's a very strong propaganda. So they, he lost, he was a associate director of this manufacturing plant, and, um, and uh, they say that he's supposed to leave because uh, because this whole propaganda he's a jew and so jews are drinking the blood of christian babies maybe maybe who knows but, but it's maybe it's enough but there's no evidence that they're not yes right so so he's not going to a prison but he's not going to work in our enterprise so he said okay i am like associate director and i want to be a worker a simplest worker but because I love my plants, I said no. So actually, he left, and yeah, it was yeah, not. Why is why, why is that memory stand out for you? Uh, why? Uh, because it was it was 1952, and I was born in 1953. So, just, oh. so what was happening that he was without job for one year because nobody wanted to to take him before Stalin died in 1953, and it was a moment when I was born. So my mother, she worked to support the whole family, and we lived in a small room, 14 square meters. It was my grandmother, grandfather, father, mother, and me. So the, I mean, the... it's kind of, it was a big impact on, and then Stalin died, and everything become way better. It is, and in terms of anti-Semitism as well. Mm, uh, you see, uh, it's a, there is a good movie, by the way, made here in America, Russian Jews, part one, Russian Jews, part two, Russian Jews, part three. 
Uh, I think it's on YouTube, actually. Yeah. So what is that? Uh, it was almost no anti-Semitism before World War II. Right. It was very strong anti-Semitism after the end of the World War II and uh, in 1945 and death of Stalin in 1953. Uh, uh, in 1953, situation became better, but not as good, way not as good as in 1930s. Why was there anti-Semitism after the war, the Second World War? It seems... Um, it it, is. Yeah, how did Russia, sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. how, how did Russians, in your memory, think about the 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 cruelty of the Holocaust? Because there's so much pride about Russia winning the war, of being the, you know, to getting to Berlin. Isn't, how do you think about the people that were tortured Well, well very, very strong, very strong propaganda. Propaganda. Very strong propaganda. So what happened that, okay, what actually happened that in the end of, okay, before World War II, yeah. before World War II, um, actually Jewish people, they just, they forgot that they're Jews. It was, I mean, they were all Soviet. So yeah. like, uh, they Soviet were all, first. Soviet first. Almost. Way, way first. I mean, It was before war. In the end of the war, Jewish people, they create a lot of special organizations. Mm -hmm. And because of Holocaust, they had significant support of United States of America and uh, Western countries, but mostly United States of America. And Jewish people in the end of World War II, they start thinking that it's like my story with this, uh, when I graduated from high school. So they start believing that They are the guys, you know, mm -hmm. because they have so much support from the United States. And it's also, and, and on top of that, like a cherry, it was a creation of Israel. And, right, that was around then. So, and the, 1949. There, so, was, there was a kind of a push that Jews are no longer Soviets. They Their homeland is Yes. Israel. And, um, and Jews, they felt like a, initially very nice, but they overdid it so bottom line it was a and also don't not to forget about hitler so as a result a uh, level of anti-semitism in from 1945 to 1953 was growing significantly then it was a little bit better but uh, actually significant improvement started happening only in 1960s mm -hmm. not earlier than that Uh, so, can you talk a little bit more about your dad's journey in World War II? I mean, there's, I remember a bunch of stories, but, uh, you know, j just for people interested, it, you know, uh, is uh, World War II is at the core of our family, in a sense. Yeah. So, can you just linger and maybe if you have memories about his, his impact, how did he get injured? What was his relationships with... Uh, You know, violence with death, with bullets flying everywhere. Yeah. Um, my father, he was born in 1923. So in... And, uh, Where? In Minsk. In Minsk. Which is now Belarus. Uh, and um, and uh, he was born in, in uh, October. So when World War started, he was 17 
and uh, it was forbidden to go to army if you are younger than 18. So together with with friends, they make change in the passport. They just change their year from, they made themselves one year older, just to be accepted to the army. And interesting enough that like uh, the way I understand at least these uh, people who organized like a uh, army, they understand, they, 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 they saw that these uh, boys, they are younger, but they let them go. He, he wanted to go. What? He wanted you know, to go. You know, there's so many stories in the Vietnam War in America mm-hmm. where there's there's a lot of people, brave people, who found ways to not go. Yeah. Here, it's absolutely opposite. It's absolutely opposite because uh, most, of, uh, well, not all, not everybody obviously, but majority uh, propaganda was extremely strong. So protecting your fatherland, motherland. It's... Even it's, to die for your country? Is, yes, uh, yes, yes. So to die for your country, it was kind of like an honor. Yeah. It's, and also, they were sure that Red Army is 100 times stronger than these Germans. Yeah. So, uh, and they thought that, okay, we'll go there, so couple of months and we are winners uh, but in one way or another but they were all wanted to go uh, especially when you know you are not like a very rich guy you know, you know. so he went to the army and uh, it was like a couple of months special preparation to become like a lowest level of officers mm-hmm. So, junior lieutenant or whatever it is uh, in this country, and uh, he became like uh, this low-level officer, mm-hmm. and uh, he starts actually near Moscow and just start going back and back and back and back, and uh, and that's it. And he was with this machine gun, mm-hmm. a big one. <laughs> And, uh, you know, the change of, like, it was very fast. So people, they were killed very, very, very fast, actually. People that were operating machine guns. Yeah. Uh, Very, very fast. Because just like... The changeover. The the changeover was was like a... So he became division commander reasonably fast. Not division, but regiment. That's one way to move up when everybody's dying. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, what he kept saying, I think even to you, because he just, it was like a, he kept saying that for some reason he was absolutely sure that every, he saw that like uh, everybody else are killed and he's not. So he was kind of sure that something is protecting him. He's and invincible. Not, and yes, he's invincible. He, he might he have been right. <laughs> very, and he was very strong, actually. Very, very, very strong. Like, uh, by the way... Physically and mentally? Physically and mentally. So kind of like you relax. I mean, he's like... A, because it's a little bit not like myself, uh, but he's very physically strong and mentally protected. Like, I don't know what best way to say that. he's He was sure in himself and he was sure that 
Is it confidence? Is that is it's that a, ego? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, no. It's not ego. It's a, it's a confidence. It's a confidence. A little bit like a kind of like a religious. But yeah. he he did not believe to the God <laughs> in the first place. But he believed in what, what he used to say in his star. So there is a star which protects him. And he uh, might be right. And he might be right. He survived the war. He, he got. Uh, he survived the war because after like four, no, like five or six months, he was heavily wounded, which was very good. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, because that's why he survived. Yeah. In the leg? In the leg, yeah. So he was like a, and he had a lot of this award, et cetera, et cetera. Do you, do you remember, what about the people in general? You know, 20 million plus Soviet people mm -hmm. died. Yeah. What impact, do you remember what impact the war had on the people? Sort enormous, enormous. That's why for 20 million, it is a lot. And at that Maybe time- Maybe half of them were just civilians. Because Stalin, he just operated this war without counting people. Yeah. But do you think it had powerful, creative impact in terms of Music, art, literature, Obvious. science. Sure. Uh, the yes. sad thing about war, right? All, all of the above. Science mostly. All of the above. It, because bef even before war, science was very much pushed up. But after the war, scientists, they were considered like uh, the key people in the world, especially military scientists. Well, I don't think I've ever asked you this. I haven't asked you most of the things I'm asking, but you're Jewish. Hitler killed a lot of Jews. How did you feel about the Holocaust? I don't think we've actually really talked about, are, is it just an intellectual tragedy to you or did it ever feel like, no, I, I like just... what do you think about human nature after that? Ooh, you see, uh, that uh, I have parents, and my parents, they have parents, which my grandparents, and uh, they're my great-grandparents. So all of those, all of those, without exception, were killed in Holocaust. Zero died with their own death, natural death. All of them, they were killed, because they were like a already a little bit older, like I am now, and they were sure that Germans, they will not touch them. Come on, just something to old people, it's kind of strange. And all of them, without exception, all of them, they were killed. So it is, you know, like initially in my life, I just, it was like a clear like hatred with respect to Germans in general, <laughs> which only later, I mean, it was clear that it's not, it's a Nazi, it's not Germany, Germany, but uh, that's, but it was very serious feelings about that. So hatred, but so as you, as you grew, grew up, did it, um, are you hopeful about whether people are good or evil? 
And that, did that have an impact on, you know, the, the fact that you can see so much evil, you, you can become cynical. The, yeah. Were you still, did you, is there still an optimistic, positive person inside you? Yeah, there is. I am optimistic. Uh, myself, I am optimistic. So just, uh, uh, like, the point is that, like, uh, I was, when I just started growing up, uh, even even in high school, uh, level of anti-Semitism was like a way lower, and in general, I felt myself always way more Soviet than I would say Russian, Ukrainian, or Jewish, or so. What What was your relationship with the Soviet Union? We'll talk about coming to America, but what was your feeling? So you're proud for for many years. I was very proud. I was very proud of this style of life where science is really popular, where people were working not for money, but people were working for, for to make something interesting, to make something good. It's a place where if you if you if you're good, you are awarded. And that was a feeling. It was propaganda, obviously. So for like when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, I would say in school, um, I was feeling that I'm extremely proud of Soviet Union. Then it was this shock change, and then a lot of friends, they started going to Israel or America, so just everything started changing. Everything started changing. It's after Stalin, after... Oh, it's no, no. It's way later. It's uh, it's already. I'm talking about late 1970s. In the 70s, yeah. In 1970s, already like uh, people they again start feeling that they are Jewish because of uh, significant immigration to to America and to Israel. Okay, so you were in Kiev through high school. Mm -hmm. So let's look to your next chapter of your life, and can you tell me? What is Fistiach? As it's, <laughs> as it's uh, I don't even know what the full in English name is. Mm -hmm. Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology. And what is it in Russian, the full name? Moskovsky Fizikotechnicheski Institut. MFTI, да? Yeah. M, it's, it's, it's like MIT, but with a yeah, T. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. MIPT? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it is MIPT, yes, MIPT. I mean, it's kind of... It's a kind of MIT. <laughs> it's kind of a, it's maybe a little more like a Caltech. Oh no, um, was there an engineering component? So it's very yes. small, right? I mean, it was, it was it was the size of Caltech. Yes. And it was very much focused on science and military science. And now uh, sorry to interrupt. Now this was in Moscow. And so you came from Kiev to Moscow. To Moscow. So how did you get into Fisiak? So yeah. So you said Fisiak is this. Uh, it's focused on science, military science. This is like the I saw on the internet <laughs> this description of and maybe you can talk to it. Uh, math and physics education at MIT. Mm -hmm. The number of hours I think, or 
compared to Fistia. And they were, <laughs> I mean, they were making, um, first of all, the Fistia education is shorter and covers uh, like an order of magnitude more material. Yes, exactly. Wh what, <laughs> can you explain what the, what that experience is like? What the, what their idea of the kind of hell they, they're putting you through is what the philosophy But that's is. what we have been looking for. Because, you know, don't forget that, well, you're coming to the place and you feel yourself best in the world. And when you meet people from, you know, outside, you're like a, you're like a different personality. You are from MIPT. You are mm -hmm. from, from Fistiach. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot of songs, a lot of, it was a very, and uh, we were so much proud that number of credit hours, it was incredibly, we worked from nine to five each day. You can, from nine to five, it is eight hours. Mm -hmm. So it's eight hours of classes. How many days a week? Six days a week. So you can count and it's, and the level was, and you know, requirements, they're very, 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 very strong. And, and this is math, physics, chemistry. What, what, what was the range of subjects? Important ways, importance, like uh, in, uh, when you enter, uh, like uh, you start with very high level mathematics, physics and chemistry, actually. And... Uh, so why and, did you want to go to Fisiak? So it's basically because you felt you, that you were one of the best people in the world at math and physics. Yeah. So this is the place to go. And chemistry, yes. And chemistry. And that's 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 the way to go. Basically, when I came to Moscow, I hesitated for about one day mm -hmm. because I also, I was in love with mathematics. And mathematics meant like a freedom. So they had less classes. They were more open for like a uh, creative thinking mm -hmm. while Fistech, it was like a, what's the best word to say? What they do like uh, in sports, like um, when you make like a, something extremely hard for you, like yeah. a, what's the name, how you say? Uh, for military, for military, for military. Well, you want to say boot camp. Yeah, I want to say boot camp, but. Uh, it's a, yeah, yeah, this is really intense. So. It process is. of weeding out the weak. Yes. And that was going on actually. So the significant number of students, they were actually leaving after the first semester. Yeah. Um, it was extremely challenging. Also keep in mind that it was about, okay, usually group it was like a 25 people, mm -hmm. 30, and usually one girl. So it is like a, whatever it is, 3% girls, 97 boys. Uh, it's also create very special atmosphere. Well, <laughs> uh, maybe just a, before, before we get into the special atmosphere, what was your journey to Fistiach like? So I think uh, I read a book, Love and Math by Ed, Ed Frankel, also Russian. I think he mentions Fistiach in there and he's also Jewish. And he said that there was a lot of anti-Semitism, that, 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 that there's a bunch of schools that you weren't, I mean, it was either explicitly or implicitly no Jews allowed. 
Yeah. Uh, well, so did you, so what was the process of getting into this place and how much anti-Semitism was there what, okay. in that picture? Um, at that period, it was 1970, uh, it was a clear, well, it's anti-Semitism, yes, absolutely. What, but what I mean that it was like, a, for Jews, it was very difficult to get into the universities, very simple. But uh, in uh, most of universities, the rule was kind of hidden. So just, uh, it was like a Jewish boy and uh, not Jewish boy, and they were going to the same exam, and the professor gives like a D or C, mm-hmm for the Jewish guy and uh, like B or A for for a non-Jewish guy if their level is the same. It was just in most of places, but Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology, it was very different. Exams, they were absolutely honest. Hmm. However, however, they count grades. It was two exams in physics and two exams in mathematics. Oral mathematics, written mathematics, oral physics, written physics. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, B, C, D, and A is five, B is four, C is three, D is two. And if you're Jewish, an exam, they were very, 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 very tough. Yeah, the oral, I, I hear. Is All very... of them, and both written and oral, they were extremely challenging. But equally, for doesn't matter yeah. you are Jewish, you are not Jewish, whatever. Yeah. Now, if you are Jewish, you have to have to to go through that. You have to have either nineteen or twenty, That's which means, 20. yeah, which means it should be A A A A or one B. While if you are not Jewish, seventeen is absolutely okay. Sixteen, some people, fifteen, some people. So it was made clear. And beside that, it's completely fair. Yeah. But it was, you know, it was, from some point of view, it was good because yeah. it is not like a cheating. It was like a clear rule, and let's do it. Also, it was very interesting that um, after exams, it was a special interview. And it was interview with, with a really high-level scientist. Mm-hmm. It was like a two or three famous, famous, famous scientists, mm-hmm. and uh, one or two KGB people. <laughs> uh, and uh, and they just, you know, manage this operation, and it is impossible to discuss, you know. They say, yes, you are accepted, great. Or they say, no, you're not. Why? That's our decision. So what was your favorite uh, subject, topic, ideas that... Uh... You fell in love with in the in the first few years of Istiach. It was general physics because we had absolutely beautiful lecture, and I have his books even now. I have over there. He wrote like a lot of books. What's um, his name? Do you remember? Sivuhin. Sivuhin. Yeah, and he was a very interesting personality. I was in love with him for I would say two years, <laughs> not more than that. Because um, he, his idea was you have to present physics absolutely without calculus. So it should be no derivatives and no integration. How's it, 
how is that possible? Um, just you do physics, you can. Oh, so you, when we say physics, you mean like mechanics? So it's no, 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 no. Physics means physics. It's mechanics. It's the thermal sciences. It's uh, electricity, optics, and nuclear physics. Everything without calculus. Without calculus. Okay. The only thing he did not touch it was no quantum mechanics. Was quantum mechanics in the air back then? Yeah, obviously, but not for this gentleman, not for this professor. Uh, he was not so much. He was not famous scientist. He was a famous teacher. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, only then, I just you know jumped to the world of uh, theoretical physics and and chemistry. So, and that and the next step in my life is just jumping into theoretical physics. And what what branch of theoretical physics were you interested in? So, I've never actually heard you talk much about um, uh, the 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 world of the big, like general relativity. So, looking out into the, the stars, uh, you were more interested in uh, like what physics phenomena were you interested in? Uh, now or that time? So at that time. At that time, uh, after these two years with Sivuhin, I just changed completely to absolutely opposite approach to purely theoretical physics. And mm -hmm. at that time, the most popular it was the so-called Landau minimum. Mm -hmm. So Landau, ten books, and they are, believe me, they are wow. So they are so hard yeah they are just for some reason they're just you know hardest of the hardest like very challenging very difficult and uh, it's the boys so just they say if you want to show yourself you have to go the so-called landau minimum which you have to go through 10 exams actually 11 because the first one is was mathematics and then whatever physics one physics two physics 10 and um you know it was a challenge it was very difficult so i went through that just actually i don't know just to prove yeah that i can do that to be honest i did not in the end at least i hate that because it was mm, not so much it is not Feynman. you know it is just something opposite to that the opposite yeah yeah but it's it's painful almost for the sake of being painful yes it's like it's like a, you are doing the martial arts. Yeah, that's to just to show you yourself that you can do that. Yeah. So that's what I did, and then when I was actually, uh, I, I was keep doing that. But in the middle, it was the first time when I came to Kurchatov Institute of Atomic Energy. So speaking of which, what what is the Kurchatov Institute of Atomic Energy, and who is your so I, I feel like in Fistiach there's an advisor. Mm -hmm. So who was your advisor? Who were the mentors in, mm -hmm. in, the, in this period of your life? Uh, uh, Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology, it's a very interesting approach. It's a so-called Fistiach system. Yeah. What does it mean? It means that first three years, you work in classes. And then you go to actual national labs. And uh, you choose them, they choose you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And three years, you work there, and you listen to the classes. But these classes they are not from teachers, not from teaching professors, but from very, very high level actual scientists. Mm -hmm. 
So, and who was uh, so who was the the person who was the person that you connected with? Who was your advisors in that fourth year, fifth year? Yeah. Uh, well, and what's Kurchatov? So that's one of the, that's mm-hmm. that's the connection. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kurchatov, it's uh, that's downtown Moscow, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Kurchatov, it's a guy. It's like a father of Russian atomic bomb, and uh, he built a big reactor in center of Moscow. And uh, interesting enough that it was in nineteen, in nineteen 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 forty six, I think. Yeah. They built the first reactor and then the bomb in 1949. Uh, so, and it was a, it's, it's, you know, like in America, there is a group of national labs, mm-hmm. different, like uh, Oak Ridge National Lab, Los Alamos National Lab, Argonne National Lab, etc. In Russia, I would say most of these labs, they were combined together in this one Kurchatov Institute of Atomic Energy. So it's like you can imagine like a combination of most of American national labs in one place. It was 15,000 people working there. 15,000, it's a huge, it's like a city inside of city. And uh, when they were created, they were focused on nuclear physics and nuclear engineering and uh, everything around development to build atomic bomb. And the same thing for uh, fusion bombs, so for hydrogen bombs. And but later they add uh, solid phase physics groups, uh, etc. So just it was a, I would say, and it's still now the most, I would say, the strongest uh, research center in the old Soviet Union. So I decided to go there, and I decided to go to plasma. So in uh, January 1972, I came to, they did not let me inside of Kurchatov Institute, I came only to the gate, and uh, I met my first professor who brought me there, it was Professor Leonid Rudakov. Uh, He is now Professor Emeritus of University of Maryland. I saw him a couple of years ago, last time. and he brought me to his house, and he we spoke, and just he said, "I just remember forever." He he told me, "You want?" It's like a, the story with Winnie Pooh, mm-hmm. and he said, "You want a tea with milk or with honey?" Or and and my answer was exactly the same as Winnie the Pooh. I did not know Winnie the Pooh at that time. I said, "Okay, all of the above, please," because <laughs> why? Because we were hungry, <laughs> very simple. And um, he spoke to me, and he started working. It was, and uh, I made my first, actually, paper. You wrote your first paper, and that's who you were, and that was on plasma. It was on plasma, and uh, but then in the half of a year, he told me that he likes what we are doing, but he will be unable to help me in the life because I'm Jewish, and to, for a Jewish person, even like absolutely brilliant, to get inside of Kurchatov, you have to have a stronger helpers. And he recommended me to meet Vladimir Rusanov and Valery Ligasov at that moment. So it was a moment when I start. Two working. names I know well, because Rusanov has this legendary, so because of you, I seem to have met a lot of people from Fistiach. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and much like MIT, they're never shy about telling you that they're from Fistiach. There's a lot of pride. Uh, so I know Rosanna Fall, maybe you can tell about him. The other guy, um, Ligasov, when a lot of people these days know from the show of Chernobyl, who is, but he obviously has deep roots in Kurchatov and is a very also interesting person. So, okay, so Rusanov, who's this legendary human that I've heard so much about? Well, it's, uh, you know that uh, plasma, fusion plasma, it is not only like uh, making stockmark, but it is diagnostic, such a measurement, characterization. So the most challenging is how to measure it. So uh, Rusanov was world accepted as a father of plasma diagnostics. So he was a very, very, very nice person working with plasma diagnostics, both theory and experiments. And uh, at that time, in 1973 approximately, uh, he decided, he was asked by Ligasov to start plasma chemistry, not plasma physics, but plasma chemistry because they wanted to dissociate uranium hexafluoride and plutonium hexafluoride, and they were unable to do it without, like in traditional ways, and they decided to try plasma. So, and Rusanov agreed to take a lead in plasma chemistry. Uh, and at that point, you see that I was in a good, at a good moment, you know, in a good place. So I was lucky, actually. Because all of them, uh, they were physicists, especially Rusanov, deeply, deeply, deeply physicists. And he needs help from a good young person who is not afraid of chemistry, being physicist. Mm -hmm. So he looked around and Rudakov told him that there is a young guy, a very interesting personality. He's good in physics, but he's in love with chemistry also. So try him. And uh, to me, he said, go to Rusanov. He's a tough guy, uh, but uh, but he will be able to help you because uh, to help you to, 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 to stay, mm. to go further in your life because he's close friend working together with Ligasov and Ligasov was associate director, vice president of Kurchatov Institute. So that's how it all started. And uh, they asked me a couple of things. Can you do this? Can you do that in chemistry? So it is just physicists and talking chemistry. So let me step up because I'll, I'd like to step back in a little bit to talk about of what is plasma even. So, but before all that, let, let's talk about uh, Rusanov. So what, f let's step away from science. What impact did he have on you as a human being? What memories <laughs> do you have of him that you love or hate or both? You know, I would say the, the best word would be both. Because, he, do, do you remember Rosanov? Not it's much. It's hard to know what I remember because I was told so many he's stories. He's the personality. He's the personality. He's, he's extremely tough, very quiet. He's mostly not talking. He's only looking at you, always in your eyes. He's like, well, that's... He's brilliant, smart. He was absolutely smart, absolutely brilliant. So you would have very to... very tough. And tough, and so you have to... Basically, that makes 
for a great advisor because this is a person to be afraid of. Yeah, and you have to. Pr- you basically for the rest of your life are trying to prove yourself to him. <laughs> yes, that's exactly <laughs> the case with academician Vladimir Rusanov. Yeah, that's the personality. That's, is there a memory, a story that stands out to you, maybe that represents him? Well, without going to science, right? Without going I remember science. one story just forever. Uh, one of the, I was already uh, not a postdoc, well, graded student. So it was one undergraduate student, you remember from third grade in Moscow Physical Technology, and she was supposed to start, you know, after vacation, she came, but, uh, but something happened and she came about one week later. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, it's uh, her advisor, which is another famous scientist, and I was in an uh, office of uh, Rosana. So he brought this girl, mm-hmm. and it's a nice girl. Uh, not so many girls in MIPT in Fistech. Not so many girls. So she came to this office, and Rosanov, he just looked at her like a snake, you know, like a look at her without any words for about maybe the 20, 30 seconds, just look at her eyes. And then she said, he said, your colleagues, they start working one week ago. Your what? Your colleagues, well, other students. Other students, they are already working, start working one week ago. Mm -hmm. That's all he said and kept looking at her. Just staring. And staring, right. And she, you know, like tears started going from her face. Yeah. And it was like a torture. It's, he didn't say Torture by silence and staring. Yes. Yeah. It's it's, it's a good advice. It's maybe like three three minutes, but even for me, it, it was like maybe one hour. For her, maybe it's like a whole life. Okay. Let's go to the most important question. How did you meet mom? Ooh. So this is before Kurchatov, I suppose, or um, like around that time? It's, no, it is already, uh, I met mom in 1973. Which and, is second, third, fourth year of yours? Uh, mo- it was my third year. No, it was my fourth year, actually, already, and for mom, it was the second one. She was there? Yeah. I told you that it's like 3%, so she was one of the girls. One of the, in, one of the special few. Yeah. In this special, and yeah, and she survived this kind of also super training. She survived the first year? She survived everything, yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, So how did, how did you, uh, okay, so there you are, part of the 97%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> With a giant ego, as as we can already tell. Uh, by the way, does your ego serve you well? We'll talk about it a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, actually, yes, I think yes. What about so in science? Yes, I I think people will hear that you have a bit of an ego, but I think it's deserved. So you're, it's the same with Feynman. It's the same with Leonard Susskind. A lot of physicists have this weird dance with ego. It's a useful weapon. Yeah. When you wield it cautiously, but did it help you in terms of with mom? I would not say so. <laughs> <laughs> Confidence. Uh, well, uh, so how did you? The, the most difficult. Yeah. Is uh, you know to to go to this because it's a boy. So and girls they live separately. 
in different like a place. Mm-hmm. Is there alligators and or like what? Yeah, I mean you have to you have to be clever. Uh, how how to get to this like a place? I mean yeah. Uh, so what happened that uh, on their floor? Uh, something disappeared. I don't know, some money or whatever, or some books, or so, something. And and uh, a friend of mine, he was, you know, like a, how to say, Druzhinniki, we used to say. So he was like a um, student responsible for, like, everything should be nice. So I said that I will help you. Let's go to these girls and let's try to to help them. So we come to them start helping and spend then the whole night reading poetry. Just reading poetry. I think oh. with tea. That's it. Reading poetry with tea. It was you and who else? Uh, me, you. mom, uh, and two of my friends. And it was also two other girls which live in the same room. <laughs> so do you remember what poems... You're reading? Is there something? If you can imagine, if we are talking about eight hours or whatever, seven hours, so it was a lot of poetry. But is is there something from that period that stands out to you? Maybe as poetry that you were reading, not something you've written for mom yet. But do you remember from that night? I mean, it's an important night, right? Yeah. uh, Uh, You remember what kind of tea? Uh, the cheap one because that's the only yeah. stuff we used to have. No, I think no vodka. So it was no, no. So uh, okay, tea and it's like a. It was offensive for for girls. Hmm. We had a huge respect to them, you know. And then ge- gentlemen don't drink vodka in front of girls. No. So at least in the beginning. So when did you first fall in love with mom? Uh, you know, when you have, like uh, you said, it's 97%. It's so just being recorded. It's immediately. <laughs> immediately. <laughs> One, two, three, yes. <laughs> okay. Well, and uh, so, but uh, she, she was beautiful and she's beautiful. Yeah. And it was December 14th. And still, even now, we celebrate this date. December 14th is when you met. Yeah. Well, that's uh, this poetry stuff. But it was the same day. Well, two, wait, December 14th, two days ago. Yeah. Wow. So we celebrated 46 years. Of 46 this years of this, since you met. Of this day with tea and, and with poetry. poetry. But... Um, a guitar, also guitar. I think, yes, also guitar. And when you say guitar, I mean, there's a bard tradition. It's basically poetry to music. Yeah. And it's it kind was, of lyrics is really important. Yeah, I would say it was 96%. I mean, it was mostly lyrics and guitar. It was just like... How did you win her over? Oh, that's that's our. What's your secret? What? <laughs> How'd you do it? Uh, actually, also I became her mentor. Okay, which made my life a little bit easier. Um, and uh, you know, I started with poetry, and I end up with science, hmm. and then actually. And we stayed together. We married three years after that. Do you remember any poems you've written her? Well, uh, I would not, s- not, not, not. Of course, you've written her like hundreds of poems say, through the years, but at that moment. Uh, 
I would say, like, uh, reciting all these life poems is probably not the best stuff to do now. Uh, it should be a special discussion about that, probably together with her. Okay. Um, what I can say that uh, I have a couple of these, not book, but booklets of poetry, uh, but it is already not the same. I was already not the same as I was in, in high school, which means that at that time, already most of my poetry was, um, I would say not funny, but more like... A, yeah, yeah, witty, playful. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. When did you know you will marry her? When did you know that, you know, sort of this is this is going to be this is the one? You, you remember this one to three? Yeah. Maybe not during first five minutes, but maybe after 20 minutes. Yeah. I'm going to marry that one. Yeah, it is very I mean, she 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 is beautiful and she was even well, she was younger, <laughs> me too. Uh, so just almost immediately, but it was clear that we cannot do it, you know, immediately. So we were waiting until I graduate from, 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 uh, undergr not undergraduate, from master level, because, you know, in Soviet Union, it was undergraduate plus master. It was like higher education. And after that, it was, PhD level, so just we wait until I'm done with master. When did you first learn that you will be a father? <laughs> so, for people who don't know, I have an older brother, uglier, fatter, stupider brother <laughs> named Greg. No, oh, he's good. Um, just uglier. No, he's good. Uh, it's 1977. It's no, he was born in 1978. Um, so it was not an easy moment for me. Uh, I, I would say even very difficult moment because uh, it was a concept in Soviet Union which is difficult to, to understand here. The so-called prapiska is just even not possible to translate which means that you have to have a special, absolutely complicated permission, enormously complicated permission to live in Moscow and Leningrad, which is in St. Petersburg now. So to do that, you have to either have to be born there, and that's it actually. So it was a closed cities. Mm -hmm. So, and I was from Kiev and mom, she was, and she is from uh, Middle Asia. So just how to do that? In 1976, in 1977, I was like the first grade of PhD, first year of PhD. And without this uh, permission to live in Moscow, so just, it was a difficult moment. So it's a practical thing because you want to, you want to stay in Moscow longer term. Long because, term. yeah, because in Soviet Union, Moscow, it was like a number one place, but not so easy to have this permission. It's extremely complicated. And because mom is originally from a different area of the Soviet Union. Yeah. 
And there's there's complications, bureaucracy, all that kind of stuff. She was born. She lived in the area of first uranium, the most important uranium mines in Soviet Union. So that's she's from where. So so what? How, how did? And that's where you born. He was born. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> A little bit nuclear. <laughs> that explains so much. So how did it feel like when when Greg was born? I mean, just becoming a father, what was that story like? So if, yes, it's a pain. I to... was very much, well, obviously I was very happy, but I was nervous about future because future was not clear at that time. Not clear at all. About this time, uh, my situation was actually very sophisticated. Um, well, it's a, a little bit long story, but um, what happened that I get sick and uh, uh, and they didn't know where to put me. It was infectious. And, and finally I end up in the house of Sakharov, which is an interesting moment. And it was mixed all together with Greg birth, with me being sick, with with the Sakharov all together, whatever. It was like a just a mess. A stressful it was mess. just a stressful mess. Yeah. And when I came to again to this Chkalovsk, to the city in Middle Asia in near now they call it Hajent. Oh, so it is near Hajent. Well, I was very happy. And uh, one of the first, oh, at that point, I wrote my first, uh, not book, but chapter in the book. What was the topic? Uh, plasma chemistry. Plasma, uh, plasma chemistry. And topic of my chapter, it was a synthesis of nitrogen oxide from air. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a very famous, I love it, a picture of Greg on the wall when he just, you know, has maybe a couple of weeks. And he's reading the book. And he's in front, and he's just like so much interest, and he's reading this plasma chemistry book. Yeah, it's a good picture. It's a good picture, right. So how did it feel like, so obviously Greg is a disappointment. Um, so, <laughs> so how did it feel like when I was finally born? Oh, with you it was a little bit, it was way- Of course. Uh, way easier, and we were way more happier because it was 1983, so which means that we were already in Moscow, we got this propiska, we got this permission, and we got uh, our apartment. So just everything was so nice and so beautiful. And, and you know, cherry on top of this cake, it was you. And, uh, and uh, yeah. the, the only funny story, which is like always mom, she used to say, is like, a, for some reason, I don't know even why, but everybody were sure that you are a girl. Not you, but like uh, that it's a girl. The girl, yeah, and uh, everything was prepared for for a girl, and and we were staying and uh, near this clinic, and uh, me and Greg and just uh, and it was announced that it is a boy, <laughs> and Greg he mentioned this famous phrase that he's so much happy that you are a boy, and you know the story also that. He was five years old, and he was for some reason sure that uh, that man 
they make boys and, and women, they make girls. So, and he was so much surprised. And he said that mom, she's so good. Yeah, he was impressed. Yes. It, that she could make a boy. A boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's Were what, you ready to be a father, would you say? Um, it, you know, being father, it's a big commitment. A uh, big, big, big commitment because it's a, now it's a real family. Mm. When Greg was born, it was like it was a mess. So it was very challenging. It was very difficult. When you were like a uh, fun and nice, and everybody there so happy, and uh, even if you look at pictures, you know, like pictures with you, that just, yeah, just smiling. It's, happy. it's a smiling. It's a happiness. Bring joy to the world. Yes, and by the way, that's the way you were. When you were like, uh, you were always, you know, you wake up and you smile. That's good. That's a good sign. Very good sign. Well, let's go. Let's go. Uh, so I, I wanted to be a psychiatrist. So let me psychoanalyze you. Do you think you were a good dad? Who? Uh, well, to be honest, it's not for me to judge. What I'm what I can tell you that my whole life I just tried sometimes more successful, sometimes less successful to be a good dad, but it's not for me to judge. I mean, you know, I can give you an example like uh, when Greg was very young, for me, like uh, very important was Landau books and i had these 10 books of landau by the way they are no they are not here they are in my office and you know that's the books which i read and just i put my yeah sweat blood and tears sweat and blood and tears right in, yeah. into this book and what greg did he just took these books and he took like a this flamaster what is that like a Oh, uh, markers, 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 markers. Yeah. and he puts everything around this, like a the cover of this. He drew on it. He, no, he just—it's like graffiti. It's not yeah, like yeah. it's all over this, and it was <laughs> how to say, you know, for me it was uh, yeah, not only sacred important, document, but yeah. it's sacred. I mean, yeah. And I was just, I remember this moment, I was so much not happy. Just, you know, and I just tried to explain, and I mean, oh, and I, I didn't even, uh, and, and Greg, he keeps saying, even now, that uh, that he want, he, he was sure that he's doing something good, that he's just, he know that I love these books, so he tried to make them even, you know. Prettier. Prettier. Yeah. That's, so what I'm trying to say that, <laughs> Welcome to being a dad, right there. Yes, yes, yes. So if you can go back and do something different in terms of being a dad, what would you? Is there something you regret? Well, you know, I would say uh, people, they're different. Some people, they always they they want a different life and they sure for some reason that if they start again it would be better it is not my case for some reason i don't know 
maybe it is just like internal strength, just to put like you mentioned about Feynman, but I just always try to protect myself and family and just, I was sure like my father uh, during the war, that if I am strong, everything will be good. But, and as a result, believe me or not, and it's psychologically, it helped me psychologically significantly, I really believe that I'm always right. Which is which is strange, maybe, yeah. but it is a way to protect myself, I don't know, and yeah. protect family. So when you ask me what you would be differently, nothing. My feeling always is that my son is the best one. I always try to give advice, sometimes more than necessary. And probably it's I'm doing that wrong, but but I cannot do differently. I'm I'm sure that I'm right. It's a kind of defense mechanism. So, it's a defense mechanism. So you you done you our family have done a lot to make a better life for for us for me, and I think I've seen you work very hard to take steps through life to do uh, make a better life for all of us. We took risk many times, and there is a feeling that looks like everything is okay. Okay. Okay, so while creating, sort of creating, taking risks, creating opportunities for our family, for me, for my brother, there was, to me, always, I felt a distance. So what if I told you you felt distant to me as a father? And then I never really felt close to you to this day. Do you think that's true? I don't know. What I'm, what I can say that I tried as much as possible to be as good father as as I can. Um, oh, it's sometimes it's difficult to to combine the system with this uh, self protection, like you said. Yes. Um, so that's, you know. So there's an interesting, it could be a Russian immigrant thing, it could be a Jewish thing too, but sort of say if you're captain of a boat or something, and you, so you have somebody precious, your family on the boat, it seems that you were more focused on just making sure the boat doesn't crash, or like sort of focusing on, or maybe getting a bigger boat, or... Uh, for the family, like there's this focus of the journey and providing and stability and so on, then then not actually and uh, not sitting down and enjoying time on the boat that you've built. <laughs> you know, I have with 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 the family. I agree with you, but what is it, it is not Russian. It is not Russian. It's a Jewish and it's immigrants, because so many times. I was very nervous that one thing goes wrong and everything crashes. And uh, there's a million things in our life, but I am always feeling that this point is the most dangerous. Mm -hmm. Dangerous here, 
that is okay, that is okay, that's that's dangerous. So I feel this danger and I'm overdoing this nervousness and it is always with me. And that's why- Even now, at any point, I'm too much nervous because I see, it looks like my feeling is that like people, they do not see that this is a deadly point, like a crucial bottleneck or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and I know that if I say that directly, people, it can be not good. So I have to play with that in one way or another. And so, but I would say that it's a typical for Jewish people because they went through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, even on thousand years of problems. And also for immigrants, because that's immigrant life. You remember your own story with uh, high school when we first time came there. I mean, there is some kind of tiny details which can make your life miserable. Yeah, m middle school. I mean, that was a particularly interesting moment that I think, it's an interesting moment that I don't know how to explore correctly because we came to this country, so I was maybe 13, I don't remember. It was middle school. And it was a very different culture change. It was a very, very, very different culture. And uh, we went to a, a it was a, it's a middle school is tough for people in general, but I went from having a lot of friends from culture that I loved somehow deeply as uh, sort of this math and science that you talked about this. I mean, there's so many uh, French deep friendships to a very shallow place and sort of the difference between what, you know, everybody, I, I don't want to discount the suffering of people, but I would say I suffered. You know, you, you want to be like, that's stupid, but I really psychologically suffered. And at the same time, you were sort of totally unable to understand that, obviously, because, well, hold on a second. I think you came to America, the, the step to come to America is a beautiful step of opportunity. So there's this dichotomy of, like, to me, that was a horrible thing. For my own selfish, personal, little experience, I didn't see the, I didn't, you know, at that age, you don't think about the big picture of things, but... It's an interesting difference, uh, the step to America. is a, a really interesting step because you're sacrificing so much of who you are. It's a big, big leap, big leap. But it's, uh, it's, the, it's the good leap for the future of the family, for opportunity, for, for building a life together. And it's an interesting, um, how did you think about that process? We'll talk about it a little bit. We'll take a step back and talk about it more as our bigger family, but as a as a dad, as a family, not big, but let's just day to day, how did you, that move, how did you experience it? Uh, how did you think about it? Uh, well, well, this is a moment when I can read for you a poetry. Uh, unfortunately, again, it's in Russian, but I will, I will use, no, no, it's okay. I, it's only a couple of sentences I'll give you from there. And it's a beautiful, very nice, basically Jewish, uh, poet in 1941, beginning of the war. So he said, когда на смерть идут, поют, а перед этим можно плакать. Ведь самый трудный часть в бою, часть ожидания атаки. Well, 
It's a wonderful poem. I can read the whole poem later, not with the microphone, but listen to that. You are very nervous before, but when it is already attack, when you are just already in action, mm-hmm. you don't think about that. So this moment of coming to America, the first period, I was not nervous. I was like in, like a machine. I was doing I was doing that. So yeah, I mean it's the same when you decide the decision is the right one. Yeah, so you, you see that this poetry that. I can just, you know, it's easy to translate it like uh, when you are going to to attack, you are singing. Yeah. When you cry, it's before that. Yeah, the stress, the anxiety, the the tears, yeah, but the when you're already there, yeah, you believe in your star, and you go, and you don't think much. Well, let me pause on this since I asked you if you think you were a good father. What, um, uh, what you know, was I a good son? Yes. The better one than Greg, obviously. But so, uh, no. But uh, w- uh, what? What? What do you, you know? Without any hesitation, I can say that you were and you are a very good son because you understand when you are talking, and it was from the beginning. You always, even when you were a kid, you are not kids. Usually, they think about themselves. And they see the whole world is ro- rotating around them. But you were way less, you're just, for many years, you just, you saw people around. You were able to, 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 to see, okay, this is, this is mother, this is father. I mean, you just see people and that's incredible. Also, just from the like first months of your life, you were laughing. Smiling, yeah, and believe me, it is not so many kids are doing that. Which means that somewhere deeply in your, I don't know where, it's genes probably, I don't know. You are smiling, so you know, like uh, when you want to see as a good person or not so good person, take a look at the person when he, this person wakes up. Some people they wake up and they immediately smile a little <laughs> bit. Yeah. That's something, I don't know, it's like a miracle. So you are, okay, so thank you for being a good son. Yeah. Maybe I'm not so good father, that's another story, but. Well, the, this context makes it much more important for me to criticize you, it makes it impossible for you to criticize me, which is exactly <laughs> how I set it up. Okay, but, um, so you mentioned Ligasov as one of the people in your story at Kurchatov Institute. Can you tell the story and your involvement in Chernobyl? Sort of that played a part in our lives as well. So what's the story there? What is Chernobyl? Okay. For people who don't know. Yeah. Chernobyl, it's a a small city, town, with a huge nuclear power plant. Um, And it's a place of world ever biggest nuclear severe accident. 
uh, the reason of this accident. Um, the best, if you know Lex, but uh, other people, they can watch the movie, which is... HBO show. Uh, yeah, show. HBO show, very good, actually. Um, I did not expect, but it is really very good. Uh, the major reason is they just went through special tests and just testing new regimes, and uh, they start to decrease activity of reactor very fast, and the reactor starts dying, and they just increase activity, and then they were unable to stop it. And the uh, temperature go very high, uh, metal clothing starts reacting with cooling water, producing hydrogen, hydrogen reacts with oxygen, and it was a huge hydrogen explosion, the so-called DDT, and uh, because of this explosion, actually the very, 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 very he heavy, uh, like a tip of the reactor jump up, mm -hmm. fell down, and 40 tons or something like that, or I thought it was huge, just then destroy the whole reactor and all this nuclear fuel start falling down, create some critical mass, and it was nuclear explosion, but not contained, so just it was. What part of the story did the show get right, and what part of the story did it get wrong in your view, with you Legasov, just things you've experienced yeah. personally? No, I just very shortly described what happened, Yes, that like it was this kind of already nuclear expansion, and everything from inside was boom, uh, went out, and actually with the wind, make uh, almost a half circle around the world. So that's an accident. Yeah. Uh, for Institute of Atomic Energy, it was a very big deal because the whole community, the whole country, actually, they consider that this huge institute is responsible for this accident. Mm -hmm. So the reaction, don't forget, it's a communist country. Uh, they decided it's like like an army uh, that all people, all scientists, they are responsible. Doesn't matter whatever if you're doing plasma or you're doing nuclear reactor. Doesn't matter. You have to go and help. Mm -hmm. You want it. You don't want it. You like it. You don't like it. Uh, in the movie, it was shown. Well, I would say movie is about. 97% absolutely right, absolutely correct. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable how good they made this, nice they made this movie. Yeah, from the people, the culture, the, the scientists, Everything. The, they, the they interaction, not, the bureaucracy. Yeah, 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 yeah. They did not overdo that because it's very easy to go like, yeah. say, ah, it's a communist country, that's why, yeah. and uh, vice versa. So they did it, the very good harmony, very good balance. Yeah. That was perfect. What did they get wrong? Uh, here, uh, at least my impression is that they show the uh, apartment of Ligasov. Ligasov was actually almost a copy of real Ligasov. Um, Visually too? Just yes, 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 yeah. yes. As this actor, he looks like Ligasov. Yeah. And just, you know, woo, wow, it's just like He's a... He's a good actor, actually. It's a good actor. British. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Just funny. laughs> you know? <laughs> And that's, but uh, it was shown, that's like a little bit of uh, already American propaganda. They show this Ligasov living in a, like a small apartment, uh, 
like a smoking cigarettes or right. no, come on. It was, can you imagine like a vice president of, of Academy of Sciences, vice president of Khrushchev Institute, he lived in an apartment, come on. Especially in the Soviet Union where that position means you get you get handed, given out the apartment. He, he lived no, not in an apartment, it was like a special house oh. belonging to him, in a, like a next door to the Institute, It this uh, house did not belong to him. Yeah. But uh, that's where he lived. So just uh, he lived like in a, in a castle, and like, uh, and uh, in the movie it was a little bit not like. What's your memory of him? Have you have you, have you ever met him? Come on, he's my 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 supervisor. So like, okay, so it's he's... like a have you have you? It's like a, like Moshe for you. Yeah, like I I had like a Rusanov and uh, uh, like for you Steve Weber, Steve Weber and uh, like. Legasov for me it's like a Moshe Kam. So did you have a chance to see Moshe Kam? Yeah. You see you're laughing, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. each other day. Every day, yeah. Um my feeling is he was very good in nuclear chemistry. He was a, uh he was a member and very significant member of Communist Party. The difference with Rusanov, Rusana was not very much liking Communist Party. While Legasov, he was. So he was a secretary of a Communist Party organization of Kurchatov Institute for a couple of years. So this kind of personality. So he was a great scientist, very interesting, very bright, but at the same time, he was a communist. And he kind of believed in, in these communist ideas. And he took all that responsibility very close to his heart. And that's exactly like it is shown in the movie. Especially when uh, the director of the Chernobyl station made a incredibly strange mistake. Mm -hmm. Because the reactor was already destroyed. You remember my explanation. But what they see, the temperature is going up. And his decision was, you know, you are in artificial intelligence, not so much in physics and chemistry. But if temperature is going up, what people they do if they are not professionals, let's put water there. And he made a decision to put enormous amount of water into the reactor to cool it down. But people, they took him, come on, I just, we have seen couple of seconds ago, there is no reactor. Mm -hmm. There is nothing to cool down because it's, now can you imagine this huge temperature and you put water into this huge temperature and metals. Metals immediately react with water producing hydrogen. So actually what they did, it's, 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 it's extremely bad. And it's nicely shown in the movie when they made a decision for three people to go inside mm -hmm. under the reactor and open the valve to let this hot water to let this water out. And these people they did it. Obviously, it was clear that they were going to die. Do you think the accident could have been avoided? The Chernobyl accident? 
you know, it's uh, so no. deeply interlinked to the Soviet culture. Uh, say no, why no? You know, how to say, is it possible to be sure that it will be no fire in the city? Um, it is, it's very low probability. It's a, it's actually a coincidence. It's a couple of stuff with extremely low probability happened at the same time. But it was really important stuff. Chernobyl happened, first of all, because it was no automatic system of control. It was impossible. If, let's say, already accident, there is no automatic system to stop it. Why? Because it's a huge reactor, very heavy, like very, very, very heavy and big, way bigger than reactors which we have here in the United States. So it is very more difficult to control. So I would say it was clear for many people that sooner or later it will be this accident. And actually it is a copy of accident which happened in America in Trimay Island. It's very similar. But American accident was more better controlled. So it was not so huge. It's still severe accident. Well, Legasov, he took this stuff very close to his heart. And um, and it is very nicely shown in the movie. And actually, that's why he suicide. He took his own life, yeah. Yeah. And by the way, he tried twice. First time, not successful. And second one, second time. So there's a, there's a journey of suffering there afterwards. He, he, he uh, took, you know, he wore the burden of credit for that. The responsibility and um, yes because actually he was c claiming that these reactors are the safest in the yeah. world yeah and they are but uh, they are way more resistive to small accidents right but they have this tiny chance of severe accident even now a lot of these reactors are still the same are still the same and still around Okay, let's get into the fun. Can you tell me <laughs> what is plasma? The simple explanation would be like uh, the plasma, it is what we have in fluorescent lamps. If you look around in, in your room, it is something you have in all kind of sources, like uh, most of monitors. TV screens, etc. Significant number of them, it's plasma. What's plasma? Plasma is ionized gas. What does it mean? Like we have gas around us, and uh, let's say with electric field, electrons are separated from ions. So just you take electron out of molecule. So molecule becomes positive ion, and electron is separate. What's an ion? Ion, it's uh, if you take if you take an atom or molecule and take one electron out what stay there <laughs> so ion it is like a atom or molecule after this robbery when they lost an electron and what's interesting about an ion okay wait a second probably uh, when you apply electric field whoever is lighter take energy immediately it's energized very fast so ions, they stay regular, usually they stay cold because they are heavy, they're not very much moving. 
so they are stay cold. While electrons, they are energized almost immediately. Yeah. And their temperature in most of plasmas, whatever you do, electron temperature is usually on ballpark, it's about 10, 15,000 Kelvin or Celsius, which means 20, 30,000 Fahrenheit. Hot. So electrons are very, 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 very hot. And ions, like gas, they're usually, in most of cases, they're cold. So if I take like a cell phone and touch the screen, well, inside you have, very often you have electrons with a temperature 20, 30,000 Fahrenheit, mm -hmm. but you cannot feel it. Why? Because it's a one electron per million of molecules. Mm -hmm. So it's not so many of them. It's like a, uh, let's say, city of Philadelphia. Do we have billionaires in the city of Philadelphia? Probably. Maybe one Maybe. or two, yeah. but uh, it's but it's not so much easy to meet them on the street because it's only one or two for a huge city. So the same story here. So plasma, it is very energized electrons and usually relatively cold gas. But these electrons, they can do a lot. Like these billionaires in Philadelphia, if you have like a couple of these billionaires, they can do a lot. It's only two of them. But actually, they can influence life in the city more than everything else because they have abilities. The same story there. So electrons, depending on gas, they are able to create very active species so they can be used as a source of light, like a fluorescent lamps. They can be uh, used to treat different materials. So most of synthetic, well, I would say 100% of synthetic materials uh, they are treated before coloring mm -hmm. because like uh, you have a nice uh, black tie mm -hmm. uh, but how to make tie black if it is synthetic if it is natural it's a little bit easier but if it is synthetic material and if you try you know paint synthetic material you know paint does not stick to it so you plasma treat it these electrons they activate the surface and colors, they start sticking to the surface. What does it mean to activate a surface? So there's okay. a, a lot of plasma is interacting somehow with the surface, whether it's human skin or yeah, it's yeah. some kind of surface. So what does it mean to treat a surface? Okay, I try, it's a little bit more difficult question, but it's, you know, if you have polymer, like a, in the case of your thigh, if you have like a polymer, mm -hmm. What, what this electron does is just create OH, and this OH take hydrogen out of your tie. And this is an opening bond, and usually oxygen stick to there and become polar. So you cover the surface with the polar groups, which are always sticky. So that's what is going on. You just take one atom out, you have a free bond, oxygen there, polar groups, you stick, you can paint. If if, if you put a, a droplet, droplet of whiskey on the surface of glass, it will stay like a droplet. But if you just plasma treat this glass and then you put droplet, droplet will go, oops, immediately cover a very significant area. Okay, so let's, let's step back a little bit. So there is a uh, solid liquid gas. You said uh, yeah. it's ionized gas. 
Why is plasma sometimes called the fourth state of matter? Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between gas and ionized gas mm -hmm. such that it's a fundamental difference? It is a fundamental difference uh, because uh, like um, what is going on that this ionized gas immediately has very different behavior. The word plasma was actually created uh, just because of similarity with blood plasma. Mm -hmm. So like you ask the difference between plasma and gas, it is about the same difference, like difference between water and blood. So species inside of blood, they're very much interacting with each other. While water, they're not much interacting. So why Irving Langmuir, in 1934, 36, he started using the word plasma versus ionized gas, because he said, take a look, take a look, take a look. These species, they interact with each other. And I didn't know that. So there's, there's echoes, connections to inspiration from blood plasma. Yes. and it's Because of the interactive elements. Way more than that. So the, the guy who just Nobel Prize laureate, uh, Irving Langmuir, who was like first to analyze by the interaction, plasma interaction with surface. So you can say that he's like a father of modern electronics, hardware. So he come up with this word, he said, take a look, this plasma is kind of funny, it looks like a blood plasma. And people, they start like using this phrase like a joke, then, you know, like everybody, stuck. Like, it's stuck. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, so uh, you said electrons, really hot. Yeah. Uh, so, so traditionally, plasma is supposed to be very high energy, very hot. Mm -hmm. So you said treat. Uh, it's electrons. Well, there is a hot plasma and cold plasma. So what to, for, for, okay. In hot plasma, everything is hot. So if you have more electrons and they are able to heat up the whole gas, it's a hot plasma, like solar plasma. The sun. Or sun. Solar plasma, sun. Uh, and... Um, in this case, temperature is very high, fusion plasmas, so just everything is very hot. Uh, in most of engineering plasmas today, including your cell phones, including fluorescent lamps, etc., etc., uh, in this case, only electrons, they are hot. And they are unable to heat up everybody. It's like uh, these couple of billionaires in the city of middle-class people. Right. And, but these electrons there, if it is air, for example, they just, electrons, they react with oxygen, making atomic oxygen. Atomic oxygen immediately produce ozone. So atomic oxygen sticks to O2, creating ozone. By the way, ozone means, I think in Latin, means smell. So the name of the guy who first saw that, it was Siemens. If you remember company Siemens, so that's the creator of this company because he was the first one to understand this ozone and said, wow, it smells. Mm -hmm. Then he, they use like a Latin or whatever word for that, ozone. And they start using ozone for water cleaning. Right, so what's hot plasma and what's cold plasma? So you said in the, in the cold plasma, the electron, like the billionaires is the only thing that stays hot. So, what? Hot plasma, everybody billionaires. 
And so in terms of applications, in terms of the theoretical physics mm -hmm. under, uh, underpinning, what's the difference between hot plasma and cold plasma? Because uh, there's entire groups of researchers that work on that. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, uh, the fundamental difference is when everything is 10,000 degrees, what you can do with this material, with this plasma, if like everything is 10,000, like a 10,000 Kelvin, like a 20,000 Fahrenheit, what you can do? I mean, that stuff melts everything and convert everything into vapor. When, uh, so scientifically, it's way easier because it's like a close to thermodynamic equilibrium. So it's just very, very, very hot substance. Mm-hmm. 20,000 degrees. many applications? Applications, the major application is if you want to melt something <laughs> which requires temperature above yeah. 2,000 Celsius. Which so, is what? The, is this torches? So if you want to uh, yeah. so cut metal. Uh, metal, you can actually, you can cut metal with, most of metals, they are just, uh, you know, they melt at on the level of below 2,000. So hmm. for these metals, with some exceptions, but uh, for these metals, fire, you know, combustion, torches, they're okay. Now, if you want to melt something which is impossible to melt, like a special hard ceramics, if you cannot melt it with anything, First of all, why do you need it? Why do you need melt something which is impossible to melt? Uh -huh. If you, let's say, if you want to protect your airplane, your airplane, it's a good idea to cover airplane with a thin layer of a substance which is impossible to, to melt, which is not afraid of anything, not afraid of lightning, not afraid of anything. How to do that? You have to melt, you have to cover it with this mm -hmm. material, but to cover you have to melt it. Now, how to melt something which is impossible to melt? Well, you have to take plasma. So plasma goes, hot pl thermal plasma goes to this huge temperature. Then you put this powder, you melt it, and you spray. What's thermal plasma? That's the hot kind of plasma. That's a high temperature plasma. Okay, so what, what's cold plasma then? And what kind of temperatures are we talking about? What's this world in terms of applications and theory that's mm -hmm. now fundamentally different from the hot okay. kind? Uh, Cold plasma, it is, it's a situation when you have electrons, only electrons are hot, and they generate a lot of active species. Mm -hmm. Radicals, atoms, so they can treat different materials, they can make very sophisticated structures, but temperature is low, so you do not damage. So let's say, jumping to artificial intelligence, if you are talking about computer, how to make computer, how to make these wafers, how to make these chips. Yeah. You have to be able to dig tiny, 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 tiny ditches. How to do that? You have to have, you, you cannot use mechanical devices. So you have to have something different. Beams, lasers. No, because laser, it's heating. It's temperature up. But you cannot take, if you just use laser, you will if you go to temperature, I don't know, 1,000 degrees, you will damage your phone, cannot withstand this temperature. Yes. The same computer. So that's why there is no alternative today, only cold plasma, to make, I would say, vast majority of electronics. 
devices. So hardware, it's almost, you say hardware, it is plasma. So let me beautifully put, what's, now you said application, we'll talk about some applications, including plasma medicine, but from a, if we, if you put on your theoretical physicist or chemist, like fundamental science hat, yeah. what are the interesting problems in plasma? mysteries that are not yet understood or things that have been recently understood. Mm -hmm. so I've seen you talk about incredible ap applications, but let's step, let's not cover that first. Is there some open problems? How well is it understood from a theoretical perspective? Is I can give you a couple of examples. It's a lot of mysteries, a lot. Why? Because this is strongly non-equilibrium medium. Almost everything else which we have around us, it's an equilibrium. What, what does that mean? What does it mean for a medium to be in equilibrium? Uh, equilibrium means it has temperature. Has temperature? Yeah, some temperature. Like this is, let's say, room temperature. Well, no, I mean, what you I mean by that is there's a uniformity to it. Uniformity, temperature, uh, not space uniformity, but homogeneity, like it's yeah. have temperature. Now, can you imagine something which has a couple of different temperatures? At the same point, is it possible? Yeah, that's what it is. So electrons are very hot, but they are inside of gas, and gas is cold. Like like a uh, people they are swimming in the ocean, so temperature of a person is higher. But here, just temperature is way, way, way higher. Now, what starts happening in this case? It's a lot of funny miracles. A lot of funny miracles. For example, electron impact creates excitation of molecules. So molecules, they start, let's say, oscillate. Mm -hmm. And people, they learn that distribution is, becomes very strange. Energy-rich molecules, they, they take more energy when they have already something. And, okay, rich people, they become richer. And poor people, they become more poor. Exactly the same thing. They call it capitalism in molecular life happens in plasma. So what is going on? Yeah. You take molecules in plasma, you excite, and uh, very fast, against all rules of whatever nature, couple of molecules, they have two quantum, and they have more and more and more and more and more and more, and very soon, like uh, some molecules, they have everything, and most of molecules have nothing. As a result, if you have this kind of non-equilibrium, immediately creates lasers. So this is one of the reasons why lasers, first, all first lasers, they were created in plasma. Even now, the most energetic, like CO2 laser, it's a plasma lasers. And there's also plasma lasers. So plasma is very accelerated application, but physics is here. I can explain it a little bit longer how it works, but it's very similar to what is going on with people. If you already have money, it's easier for you to attract new money. If you are actually poor, sooner or later, you, you will lose your money in the favor of rich people. Not sure how well that analogy works, but probably, but you're saying that there's some fascinating, complicated instability about that whole But it's interesting. capitalism. It's, it's interesting instability. Level. It's instability, not space instability. It's energy instability. Yeah. It's like a, uh, yeah, as you said, capitalism. Yeah, yeah, capitalism at the molecular level. It's yeah. a, it's a capitalism. It's a, like a wild capitalism. 
Yeah. Where just everything works against middle class. Who's the Bernie Sanders in this physics analogy? I'm just kidding. That's a, who's the socialist? Uh, okay. I, I don't, let's not take this analogy too, <laughs> too far. That's interesting that you know that plasma works, works against Bernie Sanders. So nature, nature. Yeah. Nature is a, is a, is a. More Republican. Is a more Republican. Nature's Republican. Well, no, not nature. I mean, plasma. Non it's only non equilibrium plasma. Non equilibrium plasma. Equilibrium plasma, it's everything is very much Bernie Sanders. It's very much honest distribution. Yeah. Well, non equilibrium plasma is uh, live a short life and die quickly. So, yes. So, if you want a long, peaceful existence, you want to go. And that's one of the reasons why. With this... Bernie Sanders. <laughs> In physics. That's very interesting that but for this reason, yeah. non-equilibrium plasma, cold plasma, is able to produce way more miracles. That's, uh, um, miracles meaning very interesting uh, structures, patterns. Structures, patterns, treatment, like uh, you cannot use hot plasma to make electronic device. Well, you can do it. It's just one example. Another example is like uh, recently, uh, I came yesterday, well, yeah, yesterday from Japan, so we presented ionization of liquids, not gases. So it's a lot of interesting new stuff. Oh, liquids, very interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you've mentioned physics and chemistry. What is plasma physics? And what is plasma chemistry? In terms of application, in terms of theory, what are the different lenses of physics and chemistry that you use to explore plasma? And how do they differ? You have books on each. Yes. <laughs> Uh, the simplest, I think that it was Feynman who was asked what is physics, and I think it's him. And after some thinking, he said, well, that's what physicists do. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good point. Um, so <laughs> actually... It's a nice way to uh, say that's a stupid question, but give the question more of a chance. So what's the difference between plasma physics and plasma chemistry? And even physics and chemistry more broadly. In I mean, I don't know what's the more uh, easier distinction to draw. Yeah. Uh, I can compare with languages. Like uh, what's the difference between English language and uh, Chinese language? In one case you have how many, I forgot, 23 or whatever characters. How many? 20, yeah, 25, so, 6? Okay, something like that. Something, 20s, yeah. And in Japanese, oh, in the Chinese, you have 10,000, 40,000 characters. Mm -hmm. So Chinese, it's chemistry. English, it's physics. Physics has small number of rules and laws of nature and operates with that. So understanding, let's say, how to ionize gas, it's physics. Understanding how to create plasma in liquid, it's physics. Understanding how to make a device, how to make a, a light source, plasma light source, it's physics. Now, when we are coming to Chinese, uh, I mean to this uh, <laughs> chemistry, it means that there is a million different... Tables. Not rules, tables. Yes, it's tables instead of rules. <laughs> yeah. So what started going on, you just look at that and say, oh my gosh, this plasma, especially non-equilibrium plasma, creates thousands of species. 
And we have to understand what kind of species. And sometimes you need these species, but you don't need these species. So how to have more of that and how to have less of these? And there is no rules. Well, there are some rules, but uh, about as much as in create, creating Chinese characters. So a lot of it is um, a lot of the knowledge in plasmid chemistry is discovered through experimentation? Yeah. And I would say chemistry is more art. Ah. Physics is a little bit more science, like uh, linguistics, you know, English language, it's possible. It's also a lot of challenges, but it's simple. Well, talking about simple and complicated, going from physics to chemistry, let's go to biology. One of the exciting fields that you're uh, one of the founders of is plasma medicine. Yeah. Uh, what is plasma medicine? Okay. Cold plasma, cold plasma creates a lot of species, interesting species, unexpected species. You remember this capitalism in molecular life? You can a little bit change parameters and it can be, wow, look, I start generating this strange substance, etc., etc. So plasma is very sensitive to different, it's like a human body. Uh, and plasma generates very interesting active species. Mm. Actually, to be honest, almost exactly the same. So Professor David Graves, he keeps saying that he was impressed that when he looked, you know, books of medical biology books, and he said like a species, active species inside of human body and in cold plasma, they're the same. So plasma created this very interesting stuff. And it was clear for people from the beginning, like already for more than 100 years, that if you put plasma in contact with human body, you can treat some diseases, you can do a lot of stuff. The problem was that if plasma is energetic and you put this energetic plasma in contact with human body, you'll, you'll kill the person. So actually the whole point, the whole interesting point of plasma medicine, so plasma medicine came from physicists actually, where it become possible to make uniform, not damaging, very energetic plasmas. Uh, example, at atmospheric pressure. Example, we have atmospheric pressure around atmosphere and there is a lightning. Lightning is hot and very energetic and very damaging. Plasma sources, plasma discharges like lightning, it's impossible to use to treat human body. You'll just you destroy be, a lot of body. You, you like, destroy it, if, right. Yeah, you, you'll kill the person. The tissue, yeah. Now, what happened, like, uh, when, 16 years ago, it was the first time when physicists learned how to make lightning not, like, concentrated in a tiny channel, but to be diffused and uh, just around the big, 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 big area. Like, to make it something like a aurora borealis mm -hmm. from lightning. And uh, it was actually in 1990s, a lot of like efforts. Uh, it was a French approach. They just, etc. But finally we won because what we, it was like a out of the box solution to make extremely short electric pulses. Short. Spatially or te uh, temporally, in time? Time, in time. So let's say, because we have, uh, when we have lightning between clouds, 
and ground, it's a, like a, it's a continuous voltage. But if we apply this voltage between skies and ground, uh, let's say a couple of nanoseconds, there is no time to create the lightning channel, just simply no time. So what is going on? You start creating something like Aurora Borealis, so you have a glowing everywhere because there is no time to create a channel. So you make this pulse and then you stop. Yes. And then you repeat this pulse again and you stop and you repeat this pulse again. So through this nanosecond pulsing, it becomes possible to create uniform plasma. And uh, if plasma is uniform, it's not damaging. Aurora Borealis, you will not kill anybody. With uh, lightning, you will. So that allows you not damaging to now start allowing plasma to interact with the human body somehow. So treating tissues, for example. Yes. Why is that interesting? What, what, yeah, what, what kind of applications are we talking about? Okay. Uh, today, the biggest application is related to treatment of chronic wounds, like ulcers, especially diabetic ulcers. Also recently treatment of cancers. Uh, because uh, plasma sources are permitted to be used during surgery. So when like a surgeon is making a surgery, he removes cancer, but some margins are not treated. So they start using this plasma just to remove tissue, bad tissue, without damage, because it's instead of like a scalpel, it's like a jet, small jet. Uh, for wounds, it's a very effective generation of, it's a stimulation of angiogenesis, so just growing of blood vessels. So that's, I would say, two most successful applications today. What plasma-related Nobel Prizes do you think will be given in the next 50 years? So if you look at, at the big ideas in plasma, what do you think is there to be discovered, understood, or may have already been understood and, and will be recognized for it? Okay, closer to our field, at least where we are playing. So if we have, our field is Our plasma. field, I would say, uh, cold plasma for medical, biological applications. I would say if there is a significant actually uh, accepted by FDA, etc., success in treatment of cancer, hmm. there is a big chance to get Nobel Prize. What in, discipline would you in, get? It will be medicine. In medicine, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. It is this. Another example, which I like a lot personally, it is this uh, plasma ionization of liquids without bubbles. That's a chance also to get Nobel Prize for that because it's, first of all, it's a fascinating physics. Uh, ionization of liquids without bubbles. What's the nature of the bubbles okay. that, that form? If you take liquid and put like a two electrodes in the liquid, to ionize liquid, you need huge electric field. At least that's what most of people they used to think. Because mean free pass is small. Uh, so electrons, yeah. they, they have to be accelerated to have this huge energy. So it's either electric field is huge or there is enough distance. 
just zoof to accelerate. Now, if I have liquid, that's no much place to, to go. So you have to have about a thousand times greater electric field. Or you have to create some voids. If you create voids inside of liquid, that's okay. Now, that's what people, they used to believe. But uh, maybe about five, seven years ago, people, they understood that even when they have very high electric field, but not a huge, they start having ionization of liquid. So just it's, uh, the same as plasma in fluorescent lamps, but you have the same thing in liquid. Mm -hmm. And uh, first of all, it's very interesting physics. It's a longer story to explain. It's very interesting physics, but also it's very interesting application because you have possibility to have cold plasma inside of liquid. So you can synthesize new materials. You can do something. So that was the reason, like I came a couple of, uh, yesterday, uh, making this presentation of these discharges and creation of this, in this discharge, creation of polymeric nitrogen. Because people, they don't have nitrogen polymers today, and that's uh, in cold plasma, it was synthesized. So it is very interesting from fundamental point of view of synthetic chemistry, but nobody were able to make like uh, this kind of chain from nitrogen. Right. So that was created, which is very interesting. Now this material, uh, at normal conditions, is converted back to regular nitrogen, releasing huge energy, way more than any explosive materials. So, so okay, so, okay. So those are two interesting ideas. Yeah. Close, close to your heart. What about uh, what about the sun? What about hot? Thermoplasma. Do you think there's interesting open problems there um, that will help us understand the universe or something like that? I don't think so. Today, there is no, I think for, for thermoplasma, there is very low chances for a Nobel Prize kind of results. However, there is a so-called fusion plasmas. So plasmas, because this thermal plasma, which we discussed, it's, it's thermal engineering plasmas. It's, uh, it's plasmas like a melting, welding, Right. These kind of applications, coatings, and surface of the sun, surface of the sun. But if you go to higher temperatures, you, you have fusion, nuclear fusion. Uh, but if uh, in normal plasma, thermal plasma, temperature is about 10,000 Kelvin, 10,000. Uh, for fusion, you have to have 100 million. So it's more. Wow. So inside the sun is like 100 million. It's uh, deeply inside. And the physics there is interesting? Uh, physics is extremely interesting because it's a lot of questions with stability. And this plasma at this kind of temperature behave very different. So it is, it is, I would say, super fluidic material. So it is just, it's, it's. Do you think there's possible breakthroughs in terms of using fusion as an energy source or somehow, you know, that, that kind of, Okay, crazy ideas, but out there ideas. But I, 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 on this podcast, okay. I, I talk to people about aliens and traveling across the universe. So if, if you want to travel across the universe, you're going to have to... Uh, my feeling is that... Um, my feeling is that like a fusion plasma in its traditional way, which was started in by Sakharov in uh, 1953, almost no chances. Well, I mean, they have it. They have it already. 
But the system is so complicated, this tokamaks, this big eater, big tokamak, is so complicated, so difficult, that personally it's difficult for me to believe that it will be like a real energy generating plant. So this is being able to control fusion in order to leverage it for energy. Yeah, I just they try already for how many years? What about cold fusion? Oh, that's an interesting point. That's what I'm trying to say. That I'm almost sure that at some point, hopefully soon, it will be uh, young, well, not so much young, but usually young, out-of-the-box thinking person who will say, guys, take a look, I did it. Something like cold fusion. Something like cold fusion. You know, you know and, there's, and there's been a, a lot, lot of guys and girls like that who are called crazy who've been talking about cold fusion for decades. Yeah. So you think, you hope that there is a breakthrough idea that might lead? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm almost sure about that. And I can explain you simple physics if it's, it will Let's take try. 40 seconds, uh, 30 seconds. It, it won't It'll uh, take longer, but okay. okay. I'm timing. Take a look, take a look. What is fusion? You take deuterium, tritium, or deuterium, deuterium, you bring them together, and they fuse, and they release energy. That's it, right? The problem is that this is iron, this is iron. They're positively charged, and we have to bring them extremely close. And energy required for that is 10, uh, 10, 100 million degrees. That's what they try to do now. Now take a look. Why we have to bring them so much close? We can bring them a little bit, and it will be tunneling, so they will start reacting. It requires more time, yes, but that's okay. But to do that, you have to have way smaller sizes. You have to have dense matter, maybe 30, 40, 50 times denser than what we have now. How to do that? You have to replace electron by something very similar to electron, but heavier, muons. If you do that, immediately substance becomes smaller, and you start having cold, normal fusion. But, but uh, like a production and reproduction of this material, it's kind of complicated, people there trying. What I'm trying to say is that somebody will come up with an interesting out-of-the-box solution. That's what I believe. Well, you're right. A lot of people there are a little bit, uh, how to say, not professionally just saying, oh, look, I did it. But yeah. but between these people or between serious scientists thinking out of the box, something will happen. Tokamaks, yes, they work, but they're too much complicated. It's very difficult to keep 100 million degrees for reason be a long time. Just very difficult. Beautiful. Yeah, but nice. whatever... We'll do that, Nobel Prize, without any question. Ah, okay, давай я себе наливаю чуть-чуть литяной, друг другу. Okay. Refill. Refill. Я чувствую, мы пойдем еще за одной бутылкой. Давай. Okay, we talked about coming to... Here's to you. Okay. We're doing good. Three hours in. We talked about the journey to America a little bit, but let's take a step back. It seems like an unlikely journey that has to do with a bunch of different factors, ideas, uh, hopes and dreams and goals and plans. Why did we move to America as a family? Can you tell the story there? 
narrowly and broadly as as our big family. That's a lot of details, a lot of like uh, interesting stuff which happened at the same time together. First of all, I was already in France most of time, which made the situation easier to go to America. But uh, absolutely significant role was played by Kaplan's family. What was the Kaplan's family? Yeah, it is. Uh, Our last name is Friedman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Paying attention. Yeah. What's what's Kaplan? It's uh, it's the name of uh, our of of your grand uh, grandmother, yours, my grandmother, my great grandmother, your great grandmother, right? Yeah. yeah. So her name was Kapilevich, and when her family came in America, they changed name to Kaplan's. And uh, it was forbidden to contact family during in, Stalin period. To reach outside the country, yeah. the Soviet Union, to reach. Yeah. So there's this big family, well, no, at that time not big, but now big Kaplan family that came to the yeah, United States. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, my father, he, your grandfather, had this interesting picture. <laughs> Uh, and without much hopes, he wrote a letter without speaking English. And uh, you saw this letter where it is said like a Jew newspaper. That's it. <laughs> and the word Jew was G. Spelled with a G. G E W. Yeah. Newspaper, Cincinnati. That's it. America. And uh, well, it got to its destination. And that's like that's a miracle. miracle. Yeah, that the letter came to destination. And it's interesting because the newspaper published the letter. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's it's kind of a miracle, and that, and that yeah, it's a it's a miracle. So that started. That's a miracle. They gave a catalyst. That that was a yeah. catalyst. Yeah, to it a was a catalyst for that, connection, and just uh, as a result, you know, we met, and just uh, and it was a catalyst for me to accept the position already from France, position of a full professor in University of Illinois and at Chicago, and that's actually how we moved to Chicago. So did you ever think that you would come to America? Uh, honestly, no. Even with my good friends, we were usually talking, and my plans, uh, when I understand that it's better for a scientist to go like uh, outside of Soviet Union, um, Europe, then you would go to so, France. Yes, and my choice was clearly France. Yeah. And we usually say that uh, I spoke with uh, Boris Potapkin that uh, I always say that I will go to France. And he said, well, and I want to go to to America. Well, but uh, actually happened all, all, all the way opposite, so. Uh, yes, okay. I spoke way better French language. Yeah, and I started and taking French. Taking French. So there was there was a there was an alternate reality where we moved to France, and I'm French. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and you're chances, French, and chances for that were very high. Fifty-fifty kind of thing. Uh, I mean, I, I even, remember there being is pretty certain that we're going to France. Yeah, it was more than fifty percent. Yeah, because we have already. I mean, it was very very high chances. Yeah. Um, you remember the picture I show you over there when we are with French people with Albin Chernyakhovsky, if you remember, 
I just forever remember like Alvin Chernyakovsky, he loves you. He used to love, oh, he's alive. Oh, the basically. pianist, yeah. Yeah, and he plays very nice piano. And yeah. It's a very, very nice people and... It's a different world of scientists. It I is mean, a, uh, very different. Um, perhaps more pure in their pursuit of science. Uh, more support for the kind of labs and the spirit of the scientific process. It's uh, America's academic research system is a little bit more capitalistic, I guess. In, in um... American professor spends about fifty percent of time looking for funding, and are a little bit more independent, meaning their own little startup. More, yeah, yeah. it's very difficult to do an institute and so on. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, I don't know how I forgot to mention. But the institute, you're you've headed the Drexel, the Nyham Plasma Institute for a long time, from two thousand two. From two thousand two, what was that journey like? Of all the many brilliant people that have worked there through the years, uh, all the different ideas. Having an institute in America is an interesting thing in itself. Yeah. All that. All the, what, what's that journey been like? Wow, it was very exciting and very challenging. And I would say that I work very hard, but I would say I was very much lucky that I was able to bring with me a nice group of people. Um, with uh, Nestor, Gutzal, uh, Porshnev, and more recently Rabinovich and and Daniel Dobrynin a lot now, and, I've been and others. So it was a lot of people, and, and they were good, and it was a very nice feeling of, how to say, camaraderie. Camaraderie, yeah, and uh, I've been including, on the... Including Greg, who made a huge contribution to that, enormous. Um, so it is like a Greg family. Greg is my brother. Yep. And I've been on the outside of that, sort of looking in. So I know a lot of these people. Uh, they're great. I mean, they're, they're almost like a part of family. I know they're part of our story in America, really. Yeah, yeah, I, I know yeah, the, the. Yeah. And we have an Anthem. Anthem. You remember of uh, Nyheim Plasma Institute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you go see. ahead, don't be shy. No. Uh, no. No fear. No fear. Yeah. Don't be shy. Go ahead, NPI. NPI. Did you write that? Yeah, I wrote it's that. I mean, that I play since, the guitar. since eighth grade, your poetry has been going down, <laughs> and downhill, and yeah. and I mean, we talk about that a lot. That writing poetry in English is actually much more difficult. Uh, it's it's a, uh, and hence why it's not as popular. It's it's now more popular, I guess, through in music, through hip hop, through rap. That that's the popular kind of poetic writing is in America. Yeah, it's very way, different. By the way, in France, it is way closer to Russian. The French language allows for no, poetry. Uh, yeah, French language r allows for this, like a song-oriented poetry. What would you say uh, is the difference between the Soviet Union and America? That kind of, and maybe to ask it another way, what do you miss about the Soviet Union, about Russia, about Ukraine? You see that while me and other people which came in our generation, 
which came from Russia, Ukraine, Soviet Union. <clears throat> we just, uh, we were not happy, absolutely not happy with the political system over there. But I would say, without ex any exception, we are all, I would say, deeply in love with Russian culture, which is absolutely unique and absolutely beautiful. And my and uh, my feeling that uh, while I like American culture also, but Russian is way closer to my heart, and I think it's way richer. Uh, uh, the same thing is approach to science, which in Russia was very. It's oh, first of all I like it because I was younger, which is always nice to be young, but um, you know this kind of feeling of. Science is more important than everything else. And being a professor, it is the most prestigious profession. That's kind of interesting culture. But but the political system was not good. And now it's also challenging. But What do you think about Putin? Um, I Put, remember. Putin, sorry to interrupt. Putin came to power after we left. Yeah, 2000, year 2000. Exactly. You remember this moment when we were in uh, Miami Beach? New Year's. New Year. It was exactly the day when Putin became a president. Because absolutely unexpectedly, one day before that, it was like a New Year greeting from a president at that time, Boris Yeltsin. And he said, Happy holidays, happy new year, guys. And you know what? I decided to step down. <laughs> Oops. And just, I want uh, another person to lead the country during transition period, and then we have elections. So that's the day. So we talk, and I, in, in different ways, also love certain parts of Russia, and they're still a part of me, even though it's I didn't spend there more than 13 years or whatever. But Putin represents modern Russia. So that's why I ask. If it's you know we're we're Americans now really, but what what do you think about this man who's carrying who's defining the twenty first century yeah. Russia? I would say there is a two phrases, two sayings which come into my mind. You see, you gave me ten seconds to think, which is important. Um, <laughs> uh, there is a saying: the ends justifies the means. You know who said that? It's a, there is a book here. It's a it's a Machiavelli. Oh, this is by the way his sculpture, small yeah, one. Yeah, the, the 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 head. The, yeah, 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 yeah. The bust rate. Right. It's a Machiavelli in the book Prince. He said that the ends justifies uh, the, means. the means. Another phrase. It's another nice guy, Maximilian Robespierre. Mm -hmm. He used to say. You cannot make an omelet without breaking eggs. Uh, on ne peut pas faire d'omelette sans casser des œufs. Yeah. That's uh, Robespierre. And these two phrases, actually, they describe, for me at least, Putin. You know that his way of thinking is, it was a huge geocatastrophe. Because think for a second, a huge Soviet Union where Russians, they were everywhere. Russian people, Russian, Russian. 
And in during a short period of time, boons. It is a 15 independent countries. What the hell? And and like significant, I don't know. I would say almost half, okay, less than half, but very significant number of Russians, they become like a, people living in other countries, not very much friendly to Russia. So he put all his efforts to change it, to, to, to make it easier and better. That's, and this is the ends which justifies means. And he's breaking a lot of eggs and he's making a lot of not good steps, but for the good purpose. Now, just what I keep thinking, that Russian empire, it is not first empire to disappear. Now, take a look what happened to other empires. French empire. Oh my gosh, they had enormously problems, very similar to Putin. And uh, you know who was there, Putin? It was de Gaulle. Because in late 1950s, it was an enormous war in Algeria and the whole group of Maghreb countries. And you know what happened? They just even stopped the republic and they create absolutely new constitution. And it was actually absolute disaster in late 1950s, early 1960s. But they actually went out faster than Russia. Well, why? It's a different story. Now, take a look at another huge, the biggest empire in the world, it's the British. They lost their empire, and a huge number of British people, they just stay somewhere. The same thing like Soviet Union. But, interesting enough, they, they, they made it, uh, they made like these other countries which get rid of British empire, but they were still in love with the queen. They become part of this commonwealth, and it was relatively smooth. So British, they did excellent job. French, mm, like always, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, but kind of. But Russia so far doing not good. So they are just. They they try to help, they try to make this kind of, but they break a lot of eggs. Should I interview Putin on this podcast? <sighs> he's, he's a very interesting personality. He's very smart. And um, uh, try. But, sure, but what are you going to talk about? Because... Power. Future of Russia. Future of Russia and is great, and it's right. No, 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 not not in not in those kinds of questions, but in the kind of omelet and eggs way, and in the space of technology, sort of innovation of science of becoming a superpower again, which is where you have to you know, the space race. He will like this kind of discussion. Because uh, what I know about him, 
By the way, he supported plasma medicine, believe me or not. Plasma medicine? Yes, because when he defined like a three or whatever, four major directions of development of science, he mentioned both artificial intelligence and plasma medicine. Yeah. Okay, interesting. Uh, uh, he really thinks that the ends justifies the means. So he's not afraid to make any kind of decision, but to make country stronger. And uh, and he did actually, he did very good job from the point of view of, like, you know, all other republics, they were saying that ah, all our problems is because of Russia. But what Russia can say, that all these problems because of... Uh, yeah, he took responsibility, but with power, authoritarians, power can is very useful, but it can also cloud your judgment. You can slowly become a lesser man than you could have otherwise been without being checked. So too it's a complicated, interesting, interesting story. So you can compare him with uh, Maximilian Robespierre. So without a microphone between us, we often talk about artificial intelligence. You have <laughs> a lot of opinions. Uh, like you said, you're always uh, think you're right and you're right, you know, yeah. barely half of the time. No, I'm right absolutely always with exception of cases yeah. when I'm wrong. Well, wrong, which never happens. That's... <laughs> It hasn't been observed. Okay, so let me get your profound, deep opinions about artificial intelligence. Do you think we'll ever build systems that are as intelligent or more intelligent than human beings in the same kind of way that we think humans are intelligent? Uh, you know, the most important is the last remark which you made. I strongly believe in artificial intelligence, I believe that it will be a lot of development in the direction of like a human, similarity to human, but I very much doubt about artificial consciousness. This kind of stuff, from my point of view, it's very questionable, so I don't know. What is consciousness to you? Uh, consciousness, it's, uh, it's way more, it's a wider stuff, it's like a, love. It's a complex of feelings. It's a complex of feelings. Like intelligence, it's smartness. It's a knowledge. It's a possibility to operate with knowledge. Consciousness, it's, it's knowledge, but way much together with feelings. Do you think science will ever be able to understand consciousness? So Yeah, I believe. I believe that Sooner or later, at least in this direction, will be big breakthroughs. So, do you think? Do you think we'll be able to put consciousness inside a Roomba, inside a phone, inside a camera, devices? Consciousness. Consciousness. I don't know. You know, like a Jewish answer to most of the questions. I mean, we don't know. Yes, we don't know. I mean. Uh, I, I, it's very difficult to predict what will happen with science in 300 years. It's like to ask 300 years ago, <clears throat> in what, in 19, in 1700, 
Come on, it's way, way before Napoleon. Yeah, the internet. It's the last every... years of it's last years of uh, Louis XIV, whatever Ludovic XIV, uh, and you ask them about cell phones. What do what what, what do uh, if you ask Louis XIV if you ask him a question what he thinks about cell phones? He will say, "Je suis." I am a sun king. Uh huh. That's it. No, it, well, okay, you're simplifying because if, I, perhaps, uh, perhaps, perhaps, but because he doesn't know the word cell phone. But if I asked him about artificial intelligence and explained it correctly, he would actually have an opinion already. They've had opinions about these kinds of things. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sort yeah. of, can man? This is a fundamental philosophical question. Can human beings create artificial versions of themselves with Frankenstein. I mean, people have been thinking when you build up statues, it's a, and and people have been, maybe not Jews, but people have been confidently providing answers. Okay, what I can tell you, my feeling, yes. Artificial person will be created. Okay, so the question is, yep. how close it will be like a, this, like a synthetic, synthetic person will be with respect to reality. Yeah. Is it good or bad? It's just different way, but it is doable. So we have this disagreement a lot, and you think that, uh, so do you think such a system needs to have a body? And our disagreement is often about the senses. You say yeah. to have a full, rich yeah. experience yeah. of consciousness, you need smell, touch. Yeah. Yeah. So, And I say you can do just words. Words and the uh, image. No, even just words. But yes, image is helpful. But words, even just, yeah, words, voice. Uh, okay, you know, like, uh, don't forget, I lived many years in France. So for me, smell, like uh, Armagnac, I mean, yeah. smell is very much often more important than taste. Yeah. But image can be even less important. So just taste and smell. So what I'm trying to say that I mean, but that's wait, yeah. Wait, wait. If I give you an option, I had mm -hmm. to kill all of your senses except one. Uh, which one would you like to stay with? I would not. Uh, uh, you know, that's not. It's that's like not a, a good question. It's it, like a question. You know, if if you have a choice to kill your father or mother, what you would do? I mean, it's not um... father. <laughs> <laughs> well, but yeah. What I'm trying to say that it's. My feeling, it's more holistic that people, they can lose one of feelings, it's okay, but... Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, that's, that's not easy life, to question. But you think... Consciousness, it's, it's actually, it's a bouquet, including, like you said... Consciousness is a bouquet, I like it. But uh, you think a system should have a sense <laughs> of smell, a uh, sense of touch. And that, my feeling is that it's not so difficult to do. Yes, from the, uh, so this is where we we have uh, disagreements and debates on software versus hardware. I mean, you're much more comfortable with hardware and and taste and smell. These are the kinds of things that it's it's almost like a sensor. It's a chemistry problem. Uh, yeah, but yeah. for me, actually, I am from Harmony. I'm not saying this is hardware. This is software. Yeah, I would say that that's a, it's not a bouquet in this case. It's it's a Harmony. It's, harmony. Yeah. No, I guess I, I come from a world, and it's a very kind of uh, AI world, 
and computer science world where you think that most of the problems in the world can be converted into a 99% software problem. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. that's the dream because it's easier then. But, uh, but you know, it was a Russian comedian, absolutely beautiful, Zhvanetsky. Maybe you remember him, maybe not. Of course. Hmm. He used to say in Russian, давайте спорить о вкусе устриц. Если бы хотя бы кто-нибудь из нас их пробовал. What does it mean? Well, how can you translate it into English? Mm, let's... Um, no, don't even try. It's fine. It's, it's fine. It's fine. But what I'm trying to say that this, this is a point is, is it possible to describe with words tastes of oysters if you never ever try them. And that's a very important moment. Sometimes this big data and artificial intelligence, they say, okay, we don't need smell, we can describe it. What does it mean describe the smell? It means that they can collect data about like a smell of cheese and put it in like a huge database. And based on that, to help you to choose what is the best chase without smelling. So this, in this case, I have to recommend to this computer or to this computer scientist to think about Zhvanetsky uh, and this argument about taste of oysters without trying them at least once in their life. That's, yeah. that's why I think that taste is important. and smell should be also important. Yeah, I, I disagree because I think it is, so I agree that it's very important, but I believe our mind and artificial minds will be able to fill in the gaps. So yeah. without being able to smell, you you start without ever having tasted or smelled oysters, you can start imagining smell and taste. It won't be connected to reality at all, but you'll construct a world that's consistent. So and, I would say in this case, it's not artificial intelligence, it's synthetic intelligence. And I prefer artificial because in the word artificial, you have the word art. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah. and synthetic means like, yeah, you synthesize something. But yeah. It's no, there's no, it's uh it's lacking of the human experience and artificial has that art. Yes. Well, you, you might, you might be right because the only intelligence system we have now has smell. Oh really? Ah, us, no, us humans. Okay. <laughs> Very good. I like it. Do you think about mortality, your own mortality? Uh, yes, because uh, there's a uh, three elements to that. Uh, one like uh, I'm a normal person and I think about that uh, especially in relation with parents when you lost your dad yes and mom also so you know you you cannot uh, that's something which happened to everybody at some point when you lose your father and mother you understand that now it's you. You're next. Uh, that's 
into it's well that's human the second element what i think about is um religion because at least for me but for many people also like going to beliefs of your parents grandparents etc helps helps and uh, you start to understand the older you are the closer you are to to this moment the more you just feel it so role of your religion is huge and number three i'm a scientist and uh, a couple of weeks ago we had a long discussion on the conference about uh, immortality uh that was on this uh, cosmetic meeting mm -hmm. because i mentioned to you that uh, with this uh, lvmh like a Louis Vuitton or whatever, um, and Hennessy. <laughs> That's the important one. And the important one. We have been talking about like a possibility to change direction of aging. And uh, this is one of challenges, which actually in the beginning of plasma medicine, we start trying to do. And it was like a kind of serious experiments trying to using plasma to to return aging process. I can explain you a little bit more details, but it's a longer story. But as a result of these experiments, unfortunately, we show that in all 100% of like experiments we did, we actually accelerated aging. <laughs> Not, uh, but maybe we have to- But the idea is you might be able to, from a scientific perspective, control uh, there is it, a, there is a, there is a solution it. Because you know that mortality it just God or nature put it in us, this mortality. In which way we have stem cells and they just, you know, providing differentiation, which is like a renovation of us. Like a, when there is a tiny, small kid, uh, he changed his nose, I don't know, each couple of days. So just it's, it's always like a renovation of the tissue. Yes, death and birth, death and birth. Yeah, yeah, tissue, yeah, 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 yeah. It is not like a, it's not like a nose is like growing. No, it's just it's, it's each time I have a new one. Now, when in your age, like I'm less simplifying, often. it happened less often. Maybe once in I don't know five, ten years. But for me, fortunately, well, unfortunately, like I will stay with this nose forever. Now, so the only thing we have to do actually is just to. And these uh, cells, stem cells, they're still there. We just, but if their efficiency is for some not very much known reason, went down, 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 down. So what we have to do, we have to actually help these stem cells, stimulate them just to, to, to become again more active. And if we do that, and plasma medicine tried to do that, then just, you know, instead of getting older and older, we'll go back younger and younger. Is it possible? Yes. It's against the law of nature, no? So this is a third way to think about that, but that's a really challenge. Interesting that it was discussion on this subject mm -hmm. with Louis Vuitton. <laughs> if science does arrive at that breakthrough, if you could live forever, would you? Would you like to live forever? Uh, I think yes. <laughs> I would try. Why not? You know, let's well, try. Well, I'll it. give you a reason not. Is it makes a life, you know, the fact that stuff ends gives it some deep meaning. 
you know, Jewish people, basically, they are deeply, deeply, deeply in love with life. You know, they say, Lechaim, mm -hmm. to life. So Jewish people, they actually believe that God gave us life to enjoy. What will happen? We'll have another life or not? Or maybe it will be like, a, again, we'll be young. Is it possible? The Jewish answer is absolutely clear. We don't know. So, but enjoying life, it's a law. Absolute law. So if you have possibility to live, you have to go on with life. That's a Jewish answer, and I like it. Are you afraid of death? Yes. <laughs> I remember when you asked me how long did it take for me to, to fall in love with, <laughs> with yeah, your mother. One, two, three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you answered that pretty quickly. So what do you think is the meaning of life? Ooh, that's a difficult question. You, you never like this, the silly questions. Um, but, uh, go back to your eighth grade self and be romantic for a second. Yeah. What's the meaning of life? Yeah, what meaning is, of our existence here on this little planet. Well, I remember that I kept asking myself this question when I was in eighth grade. It was one of the crucial questions for me uh, at that time. Uh, basically, exactly the same time when I wrote this yeah. romantic stuff. And at that time, I, I remember my answer. I, I kept saying, day by day, which means... That meaning of life is just to enjoy, enjoy today's life and go to tomorrow. Survive the day, enjoy the day. So enjoy you're the French, day. You're a French existentialist. You're, you're yeah, a Sartre and... Uh... Yeah, it's Sartre. It's, but, uh, you know, at that time, I didn't have any knowledge about existentialist, whatever, Sartre, yeah. especially Sartre. Um, but I was absolutely sure about that. Uh, if you ask me now, I would say I was right. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought that was a natural extension of the axiom, which is I'm always right. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but you know, in each joke, it's a 50% of joke, 50% not. But after reading, it was a book, uh, Les Mots, uh, Words, right? What's in English you say? Sartre. Sartre, yeah. Uh, Les Mots, Words, Slava. Mm. I think in this book, he just, when, when I read that, it's basically uh, absolutely bad book to read. <laughs> yeah, Sartre is, uh, I prefer Camus and the other French guys. Yeah. I just understand that I am, I was not alone with this kind of ideas. Yeah, there's other French guys. What do you hope Greg and I accomplish in life? Oh. 
and next I'll ask you for advice, and after that we'll drink some vodka. <laughs> Are you calculating? I, I know I'm not calculating. I'm just trying to recall a very nice poetry. Uh, uh, you know, uh, between I, I love Russian poetry, and uh, it's interesting that my favorite Russian poet it's actually a woman. Mm -hmm. It's a Marina Tsitaeva, mm -hmm. and uh, she wrote like a short poetry, just answering that. She said, "Наша совесть не ваша совесть." Полновольно, о всем забыв, дети сами пишите повесть дней своих и страстей своих. Well, and it is in Russian, but I'm, I, I think that it's kind of deep and it's kind of smart. We wish, I wish you to be happy, and I know that if I push you in some direction, or Greg, it's nothing happened. I mean, I okay. I will be always recommending. Yeah, you're always pushing and, anyway. And and don't forget, I'm always pushing anyway. But you know that, yeah. and I have to do that because I'm a father. So I and I'm always pushing in conservative direction because because I'm a father, and I very much wish you to have your son, my grandson. Or granddaughter, yeah. And I almost guarantee you that we'll do the same. You will not recommend your daughter to take a risk and to go to Hollywood to try to be an actress. She's supposed to do it without, <laughs> without your permission. Um, what? And, and that's and that's 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 beautiful. Um, we make our own way, and there, you always have given me uh, brilliant advice that I almost never follow and usually disagree with. So, uh, but... And that's the way it should be. Yeah, that's the way of life. Uh, so what, <laughs> speaking of which, what advice do you have for me for the next 10, 20 years for, in life? Sort of in any direction. <laughs> You see, I'm hesitating. I'm thinking about, I mean, I have two ideas and they're kind of very much opposing. Yeah. So from one hand, my approach was the same as Sartre. Uh, so just from one hand, I like the idea just to live your life and to enjoy and uh, to be prepared for tomorrow, which everything will restart again. It's from one hand. From another hand, I remember myself in elementary school. You remember the beginning of our discussion about these stupid guys, these idiots with stones, and I just had an idea just to build a rocket to put there. So I wanted to do that, and I did it. So this is another idea. When you are just put your heart into something for a longer time, not for one day, but 
you have to find your own way just and my feeling is that you personally found it with artificial intelligence and uh, that's why my feeling is that in your specific case my advice will be just not to let them these idiots with stones to succeed <laughs> you have to be a winner yeah and that's what i and that's what i maybe don't put the mercury in the rocket but uh build the rocket it's your choice yeah because that's a rocket which you are building but what is important that you'll do it well i think this is a good time to uh to maybe toast our family oh that's a good idea some we thought we'll do we'll probably drink more vodka but we we decided to be responsible adults and just save the vodka to the end uh, it's always a question how much vodka we have to drink in russian tradition usually we calculate for adults like a one bottle per one bottle per a person take a look it is uh, made in soviet union and it's uh, 1986 this is vodka of my father because uh in 1986 in the year of chernobyl he gave this bottle yeah. to friend of mine because this friend of mine he went to america and he just um, this my friend he just saved this vodka for us to be able to just whatever to think about can we say his name uh of my your, your who, friend oh uh he's sasha but uh, we call him shura shura but that's the same thing but is your like, best friend your lifelong friend yes it's like your matt my matt uh, matt herandy shout out and first you can toast the family but let me just toast to the best dad i've ever had the best, <laughs> the best dad i could ever ask for i love you dad yeah i love you son let's go Thank you for listening to this conversation with my dad and thank you to our sponsors The Jordan Harbinger Show and Magic Spoon Cereal. Go check out Jordan's show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and tell him I sent you. Listen to the Kobe Bryant or Neil deGrasse Tyson episodes first or just binge listen to a bunch of them like I did. And buy all of the Magic Spoon cereal. Click magicspoon.com/lex in the description and use code lex at checkout. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe on YouTube, review it with five stars on Apple Podcasts, support it on Patreon, or simply connect with me on Twitter at Lex Friedman. And now let me leave you with a request. If there are close people in your life who you've never sat down to really talk with, and they're still here with us, talk to them, heart to heart, podcast or not. They won't always be here with us. Life is short, and most of it is a distraction from what really matters family, friendship, and love. Thank you for listening and hope to see you next time.